weaving in and out of your consciousness like a bad dream you can't wake from, this is the Nightmare Junkhead Podcast, a horror podcast that firmly believes everyone is entitled to one good scare. My name is Greg D. I'm Genius McGee. And on today's episode, we're delving even deeper into the mouth of March Madness as we welcome the classic Horrors Club and the Cadaver cast to help us break down the surviving horror classics from our 1978 bracket. But before we get into that, let me remind you, we were part of the phenomenally frightening Phantom Podcast Network. Phantom. And you can find all of our past episodes along with a host of other horrific horror podcasts at downrightcreepy.com. Or if you're like me and you like to listen to us on the go, simply search for Nightmare Junkhead in your iTunes or SoundCloud app. Hit subscribe, and when we drop our latest episode, it'll download directly to your listening device of choice. All up in your disco hole. So as we go into the round of the Scream 16 in our Into the Mouth of March Madness tournament... We have 16 films that fought, chewed, tooth and nail, devoured, slashed, decapitated, whatever they could to get into the next round, this round of the Scream 16. But unfortunately, that means we had 16 films that met their demise Mm -hmm. in the first round and didn't make it. And so that also means, unfortunately, that four films from 1978 we are not talking about. And I thought in true... Oscar-like, you know, in memoriam fashion, we should at least pay tribute to these fallen films. So the couple that we didn't get here immediately, we had a couple of sequels that didn't make the cut. Damien, Omen 2. Uh-huh. And this one that you hear in the background, Jaws 2. Now, again, this does not mean that they're any good. No, of course, quite the opposite. They're wonderful. Any other day, they could have moved forward, but when we recorded, they didn't. Yeah. And of course, we left behind the Ozploitation classic, <laughs> Patrick. <laughs> Go back to our episode on that one. It's just such a... Yeah, a little uh, under-the-covers typewriter. Indeed. And it spits <laughs> upon, I spit on your grave, yep. as that one also didn't make the cut. But again, all of those films are really good. Please check them out. When you're going to put the in memorandum thing, I thought you were going to put, in the arms of the angels. Or like, like something like that. I didn't want to be... I didn't Sarah want to, Sad McLaughlin. I didn't want to bring anyone down now. Come on. I, this is a fun <laughs> podcast. We come here to forget things and to talk about things we enjoy. <laughs> and speaking of things that we enjoy, when we get into the round of the Scream 16, uh, it's wonderful because we get the opportunity. We expand yeah. our talk with other podcasts. And in the round of the Scream 16, we bring in people from the Phantom Podcast. And ultimately, most of the time, it's usually by Skype, uh, which is n- nothing wrong with that. In fact, I love the fact that we are in this time, we can do that. But it's awesome to have them in studio. Indeed, because the audio quality sometimes on Skype, sometimes it sounds like they're in the studio. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it sounds like they're in Genius's Rungeon. <laughs> well, sometimes. sometimes. Striving to get out. But it's nice then when we can have some of our guests come in studio, and today's guests are no different. In fact, if you go back to last year's Into the Mouth of March Madness tournament, they were talking films from 1977, and they were just so god darn good. We wanted to bring them back. Uh, so you can hear our first guest as part of the Phantom Podcast. And... <laughs> That's good. And to be part of their club, all you have to do is listen. So uh, welcome back to Nightmare Junkhead from the Classic Horrors Club podcast, Jeff Owens and Richard Chamberlain. Thank you very much for having us back. Great to be back. I'm a little confused, though. uh This is March Madness, but it's not May. So (laughs) why are we recording in February? (laughs) Now now remind me again why we asked you back on that one, though, Jeff. Uh, 
Damn, yes, we are. Busting your well, yeah, March Madness, November Madness. <laughs> we, I'd like to think we learned from our mistakes last year just in, regarding when to put this together. Because, yeah, if you go back and you look, this is supposed to, and this will only be for one month this year, but last year's went from, it went March, April, April into May, May I believe. <laughs> because we started thinking about it in March, and so at this point we're like, we need to bank all of these in advance so thank you guys for doing this and giving a little peek behind the curtain which is kind of phenomenal uh but before we get into the madness of 1978 where can our listeners find you out on the social media please plug promote where can they find you on the interwebs well our podcast is on fandom podcast network at downright creepy um we each have our own blogs mine's classic club but together we've just started a new facebook group called classic horrors club and uh, we're a little behind in things i mean it took us a while to figure out show notes and and things like that but we now have a page and we're we just started that with our last podcast we're trying to get people to sign up for that and we actually have a copy of uh what I think is a great movie. I don't know what Richard thinks about it. The Blood Spattered Bride that we are giving away on Blu-ray Ooh. Uh, for anyone who joins the club slash Facebook page will be entered into a drawing to win that. I, I will. I will say that I enjoyed it. Good. Uh, it was. It was different. It, it was. It was different. So, uh, I'm caseycinephile.com is uh, still my main blog, and I also do uh, monstermoviekid.wordpress.com. And uh, I'm, uh, I've got my own page on Facebook, and I've also entered the Instagram world in the last month, Casey Cinephile. So uh, that's kind of been kind of interesting. I'm still learning all the curves and twists and turns of that. But um, I understand all too well. I am often <laughs> mocked on my own podcast here of my lack of understanding with social media, confusing the Snapgrams, the, the, the all of those that are that are basically, you know, picture based. I don't get. Because I'm, you know, with Instagram, you can't link to certain to like, you know, episodes of the podcast. You just can't do it in the thing. I just, I don't get it. It's, I again, I'm on my yard right now, saying, "Get off my yard with your social media." But congratulations. So I, I will say that I've, I've actually reconnected with some people who left Facebook, and I wondered what happened to them. And as soon as I joined Instagram, I was like, "They are alive. Yeah. There they are." They had just chose to to leave the. Uh, drama that is often present on Facebook. A little and, bit toxic there, perhaps. Yeah, yeah, and you don't have that on, on Instagram because it, first off, you know, you do everything on your phone and you just don't want to sit there and type that much. So, yeah. <laughs> and I think that's ultimately why I'm not big on it because from my phone, for the most part, my phone provides my podcast listening and texting and phones. That's it. I don't take a lot of pictures. You know, anything that we actually have from our live shows are thankfully from our friends that are there. <laughs> We're taking pictures of us. Just something I'm not, you know, just acc- accustomed to. So uh, thank you again for coming back, you guys. This sure. is a blast. Um, if you guys do not listen to the Classic Horrors pl- uh, Club podcast, you're missing out because ultimately it is a definitely a celebration of the classic horrors, your monster movies. But ultimately, you guys go in, you go in depth and detail. And again, it's the amount of research that goes into it that I think I appreciate the most. But even your last episode, when you uh, went all Boris Karloff, you know, you take the time not only with the monsters, but the men behind the monsters. And that's, I love that. It just So what was it that uh, inspired the, the last episode? Obviously, besides Boris Karloff. Honestly, I think as we're kind of coming up with ideas, it was just this, you know, February was the month that Boris Karloff died. We hadn't done any Boris Karloff and we're classic horrors. I'm thinking, well, we have to, we've done, we've done Vincent Price and Peter Cushing and, and Christopher Lee, but we haven't done any Lugosi or Karloff. And so, but we wanted to do something different. We didn't want to talk about Frankenstein, Bride of Frankenstein. So we chose 
the old Dark House, which gets a lot of love, but doesn't. It's not at the top of everyone's list. We went with uh, the Devil Commands, which is certainly That's not cool. at the top of anyone's list. We wanted to do one of his Mad Scientist films, and there's like a, there are a dime a dozen, you know. But and that wasn't necessarily the best, but it wasn't the worst. And then we went with the obvious with Targets, you know, at the end of his career, which was ultimately many consider the best of his career. So, regardless, those are some good deep cuts. We yeah. had a lot of fun. And that's, we had yeah, a lot of fun. Yeah, and they, you know, sort of represented the beginning of his career, the middle, and the end. I don't know if you said that. Um, and we're going to do that again uh, next month with Peter Lorre. Hey, yeah. Hey, hey. <laughs> eight minutes. Eight minutes. I got it. <laughs> Before the impressions came out. Well, one of the things that I always dig when you do a specific movie is you look at the the time period it came out. And so not only did we got a lot of great horror in 1978, but there were certain pop culture things that came out there. So, of course, I want to throw this out there. But, and God, just to think about a time when a late night talk show host was somewhat relevant, or in this case, it was kind of still burgeoning, but Johnny Carson was still doing his thing on The Tonight Show. Yes! <laughs> I, will, I, will watch, I will watch some of those old ones on Antenna TV, the 90-minute ones, and they have them on weekends. Are those the ones where they're all still smoking? They're smoking. The- <laughs> He's wearing some of the weirdest clothes that anyone... And, you know, it's, it's before he really embraced the fact that he was balding. And I don't know if he had a toupee or not, but... There's a lot of comb-overs there with... Uh, I, I can appreciate that as a man that's also... It's, it's going. It's going. But you, you see a lot of, of the old school you know stars, and, and it was a couple of weeks ago, maybe, I think, maybe a month, maybe two, I don't know, but uh, Frank Sinatra was a guest, and, and uh, he's like, yeah, I mean, it's just oozing, you know, classic era of, of talk shows that... By the time you get to the '90s, you know Carson is had well out outstayed his welcome. So everything adjusted, it changed. Yeah, yeah. yeah. There, there's Johnny something Carson to be said. To Carson Daly. <laughs> <laughs> the, that you got to change with your audience, but there is something going back to those old ones, especially like with Burt Reynolds showing up and the shenanigans oh. that would ensue with those old school ones. I love that. Uh, in on the airwaves, guys. Uh, one of my favorite bands, uh, and I know that goes against my metal cred. Uh, but the top song was Night Fever by the Bee Gees. I fucking love the Bee Gees. <laughs> I don't think you can be a fully functional human being without enjoying the Bee Gees unironically. Like, that's a band you have to love. Yeah. It's it's infectious. It, 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 you can call it a guilty pleasure, but, you know, there's a lot of other 70s disco music that should just go away. But Bee Gees, yeah, it's classic. Yeah, it's one of those that I think at my age at this point I don't like I don't have guilty pleasures. I just have things I enjoy. Like I know sure. like Xanadu isn't necessarily a great album, but as genius will attest. Xanadu. Yes, it is. Xanadu is great. Yes. Yes. Xanadu is fantastic. <laughs> I'm with my people Xanadu. then. That is good. <laughs> But then uh, also, just in terms of the movies that were out there... My we're God. a horror musical podcast today. <laughs> <laughs> and we will be. But uh, Grease was uh, released out on the theaters, Every Which Way But Loose. And you'll believe a man could fly with Superman. I, I got to say, out of all those, I'm going to have to go with Every Which Way But Loose. A man and his monkey. I love me some like trucker monkey shenanigans. (laughs) And also, I did revisit some of those films recently. The Black Widows, the biker gang that shows up in there when they're when they show up and they've got that that little theme, and they proceed to get their asses handed them by Philo Bedham, which is one of the great all time names in genre cinema. Philo Bedham, and just he's a legend amongst, of course, the bare nuts. It's such a weird movie. 
It just and they made two. Of them, which yeah, was I was great. Say, they didn't stop with one. No, and, and poor Ruth Gordon in that sequel. <laughs> it just it's rough. But she, and it's the foul-mouthed, gun-toting <laughs> granny. Just yeah. and, Clyde, and Clyde. Clyde. You had that's the weirdness that you had in 1978. But 1978, in terms of horror, <clears throat> also gave us some of I think the all-time greats mm-hmm. that you can ask for. And you you want to talk about like. If you say, what are some of the all-time great horror films ever, regardless of the year, so many of these can show up in the list. So that being said, we are tasked with bringing four films down to two. And Mm -hmm. this is tough on all counts with all of these films. And I'm going to leave it up to you guys just in terms of which ones do we start talking first? Because we've got Halloween Mm -hmm. going up against... (laughs) <laughs> Piranha, <laughs> and we have Dawn of the Dead. <laughs> what do you got there for Invasion of the Body Snatchers, buddy? Against Invasion of the Body Snatchers. <laughs> so we do invite the guests here to go first. Which two films would you like to guys start talking and debating first? Oh, why don't we do Invasion of the Body Snatchers? Because um, it's not a caper; it's a rat turd. <laughs> it, it, that that was one of the main things that stuck with me. Even like after before the rewatch was like a it is all it's a caper. It is a rat turd. No, it is a caper. It is a rat turd. And I'm just like, you know, I'm just like, then eat it. You know, uh, kippers and rat turds. So Richard just watched it recently and was talking about how well it holds up. I just watched it last night, actually. I, I had seen all of these before, so there's no first-time viewings this mm-hmm. year. Uh, and I revisited all of them within the last couple of weeks. Um, and i got to say, Invasion of the Body Snatchers, it holds up. Um, and you can really take that movie, and I think you could plop it in today. And I, there's nothing that stands out, even like from a technology standpoint. Sometimes, you know, there's there's certain things that... If it has a computer or something, it just really dates it. But you didn't really see computers that much. You really didn't see phones or technology. It it was other than the cars or stuff like that. But yeah. there wasn't anything that really stood out, which is why I think you could plop it down in, in 2018 and, and it could blend in very well, I think, with other movies and, and not uh, be anachronistic, which I know a lot of modern youngsters out there, they have a hard time watching the older movies because... It just takes them out of it. it they takes can't them help out but of point it. it out and laugh yeah. and giggle. They laugh. And how many young kids watch black and white films? Some do, but rare. Because why would you watch something in black and white when you can watch it in color? Well, or... even now, films in 78 would definitely, they wouldn't even be on their radar anyway. I mean, anything beyond the this 90s or 2000s anymore is considered old and classic. I've which... got two kids in the twenty in their mid-20s, and, and they were exposed when they were younger. They, were, they went through a period where... They loved the house on Haunted Hill and watched it nonstop. And my, my son loved March of the Wooden Soldiers with Laurel and Hardy, you know. And then he just one day realized there was ESPN and girls. And unfortunately, <laughs> those got left behind. And they won't watch anything older than what they remember as a kid. Sure. And it makes sense, though. It makes sense. But if, if they're lucky, they'll ultimately reverse engineer and discover a lot of the stuff that kind of laid the foundation for a lot of the stuff well, that we enjoy today. You do see it, and we saw it last summer when we went to Monster Bash. Um, Steven Turek, who's a, a follower of our show, we met him and his son, and his son loves the old monster films. 
And so, yeah, they're out there, you know, but they've got to have a nurturing parent or influence, I think, to say, sit your ass down and watch this goddamn movie and you're going to enjoy it. And I don't think you can really do that with something like Invasion of the Body Snatchers, because as you as good as it is, and it truly is, this was definitely, and we mentioned it last episode, Every bracket, there's always that one film that is that nice surprise when you go back and review. Invasion's been mine so far. Uh, And a lot of it has to do with just, as you mentioned, just the themes that still play relevant today, almost more so, sadly enough, and the fact that you are just populating it with these these amazing character actors. It's so good. Yeah, and like you said, I mean, Richard's sort of saying it's a sort of a timeless uh, recreation of the story, and Greg, Mm -hmm. you're saying... uh, that uh, the timeless themes and that is, I mean, the fear of the loss of your identity, I think is something that comes up every few years. I mean, it was there in the original, not um, invasion of the body snatchers. What year was that? Was that the original? Was yeah, it 56? 56. Yeah, 56 yeah. Okay. And then there've been how many remakes of, of there was so two, it's just at least two more since then it was on the nineties. And then there was, there was the invasion and then the invasion of the body snatchers, like the remake. And I think the invasion was a take on it with Nicole Kidman and Daniel Craig. Which, yep. That tank. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah. yeah. I don't even remember seeing it. There I was one. It was just body reason. snatchers. Body yeah. snatchers was the one from the nineties. And I remember seeing it and it was like forgettable. I mean, you yeah. saw it and I was like, <laughs> well, I'm going to go back and watch the original or the, any of the first two. I think this is one of those rare circumstances where this is a remake but it stands on its own, and it doesn't really replace the original. Much as the thing, you know, mm-hmm. both versions can hold their own. Um, although the first one, you know, has had a few cheesy moments, you kind of chuckle at. But I think both of those films still hold, and I think the same with here. And you know, Kevin McCarthy gets the little token popping, yeah. you know, a yeah, cameo. Yeah, that that was kind of a nice homage to to the past. And it's wonderful because if even if you're not familiar with it, it doesn't take you out of the film. You're just like, oh, it's just some crazy guy, and then boom. But those of you that are familiar with it, it's thank you. The little mini yeah. Easter egg. Yeah, exactly. It's the, the handing of the baton, if you will. Uh, now, by any chance, did any of you get to see this one in the theater during its original theatrical run? I did. What was that like? Especially considering it was a remake, and it wasn't really you know big to do remakes. You know, I don't really remember, but I do recall... It, it must not have had an impression on me, I, because... Yeah. The, the fact that it's so loved and remembered today kind of surprises me or it surprised me at one point. Uh, but then again, growing up in Enid, Oklahoma, I may have seen it with three other people in the audience. Uh, <laughs> Makes a huge difference. Yes, yes. But this one's really smart. And one of the other reasons it seems so current, but it's different than horror movies. I mean, it, it's logical that this is happening. And so very smart. They, they want to talk to the mayor to let him know that it's happening. I mean, how many movies do they ever do something that actually makes sense to bring it to people's attention? And it's, I liked the the saying about, well, why not space plants? I mean, we always <laughs> think that aliens are come in spaceships, you know? so that that is really awesome. There's lots of little things like that 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 make it very smart. My only downfall with it is that it ultimately it turns into just a sort of a chase, and then there's a big fiery explosion at the end, and I'm not fond of movies that end in big fiery explosions. I'd be <laughs> curious to see if maybe there was production notes. You know, we need to add something to it there potentially may have been. because may have it been. is definitely a slower burn film, but it's one of those that still t- resonates really deeply. I really enjoyed this movie. But I have to say, I'm going to be a little bit of voice of dissident. I've always had a problem with Donald Sutherland. I always <laughs> have, and I don't know what it is. 
when he's just being his natural self, he's always remind. He just maybe skeezes me out for some reason. No matter what, it's like, hey, let's go down to the plant. You know, it wasn't until later on in the movie when he goes like full like Nicolas Cage paranoia when the camera motion was the, f- the that, camera the work camera, is crazy and frantic. Ca- yeah. Yes, I really enjoyed the cinematography on this one. Um, however, <laughs> the beginning there was just so many weirdness that it didn't quite take me out at the beginning but it made the slow burn that much slower because that weirdness really never went anywhere until maybe about when Jeff Goldblum became an asshole. You're just not um, attuned to West Coast sensibilities, well, I think. But for example, like Robert Duvall swinging on the swinging on the thing for no reason with an extra long close, it was just like they haven't indulgent. even landed yet and now there's creepy shit going on, you know? It, it, but <laughs> The Buck Flowers bum dog? <laughs> is that I'm curious, yeah, is it a man dog, dog man? Like how would you how would you guys classify that be and let me also ask, did that ever take you out of the film? Um it I mean yeah, it's just this moment where it, it takes a comedic twist, which I only I think the only real time in the movie that it really You get any kind of levity like that. Yeah, I mean, it, but it's also creepy. I mean, it, it, you laugh, but then you're looking. It's like that's a creepy image of a man dog. I guess I'd call yeah. it a man dog. A mog. But then he's <laughs> playing the banjo. Which... That's right. It's just the banjo. <laughs> it it took. Me we talk right about that out last episode because it's it very much. Right it is this crazy ten second little interlude. Is like we're you know we're facing the aliens and here comes banjo man dog, and then <laughs> right. <laughs> that, now, if that's not anyone's persona as a on the amateur wrestling circuit <laughs> from parts unknown banjo man always got him in the rough position <laughs> but it's so bizarre too it, you could have thrown in like yakety sacks and it would have been it the same totally, yeah, yeah. It, it took me out and then like you said the fiery explosion I had a little bit of issue on that and it's not like not like the whole science thing where like well if the aliens are so bad then why don't come to you know but it was just like okay you come down Plants don't like. I don't know if they realize that there's fire and like. Are these like, the same kind of aliens drought? from Shalimon with the water and what have you? Yeah, I mean, but I mean, I dug it. I mean, I really did. Like those little nitpicky things aside, the being taken out with the because it looked like buck flowers, the man dog bum. Like it just, it just. I was, I was like, I was laughing so hard. It was hard to get back into the paranoia and scariness aspect of it, but yeah. like. And Leonard Nimoy is very creepy in this movie. He yeah. is just hauntingly creepy. It's just like almost go has to sleep. like, and it's like, yeah. God it's forbid, like, I him say... in for the hug, right? He's mm-hmm. like, come here, let's hug it out, let's hug it out. And then out of nowhere, she's just walking in naked through the plant, like just like the the the, the factory. You know, it's... it was a 1970s <laughs> film. You have to remember different right? sensibilities. Uh, I mean, like I I was like, okay, I I'll, I'll let this one pass. But like, I enjoyed the movie. Like I said, with even with the little critiques and stuff. But you know, it's just <laughs> it's a very off-putting movie. I mean, you talk about Sutherland and Nimoy. They're not. I don't know if it's the director's style. I think it was Philip Kaufman, right? Mm-hmm. But yeah. they they have a, a different style of acting, and that just sort of contributes to the whole thing of of setting you off. I mean. I don't know if they're more natural. Maybe they're not acting. Maybe they're being more themselves. But yeah, everyone you're familiar with is just a little bit off. Even which Goldblum, is perfect. Yeah. 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 Yeah, yeah, yeah. Goldblum plays an asshole, and Nimoy has that weird glove, the glove thing on his hand. Yeah, that made no sense and no real explanation, but they focused on it a few times. So that's where I was like. 
And I, I remember that game I read, they intended that was to kind of throw you off kilter a little bit. Which was like red herrings. Yeah, it was, it was intended to do that. And I think, for me, the, there's a claustrophobic feel to this movie because a lot of it takes place in the, the, the uh, what's her, Brooke Adams' house, right? Mm-hmm. With uh, her creepy husband, Art Hindle, who was like <laughs> asshole from the very beginning. Um, he really can't tell when he becomes an alien because exactly. he's, he's right. the same. Right. Um, you know, you've got like the office setting. There's a few places where they just kind of keep going back. Mm-hmm. Only a couple of times do I feel a grander scale for this. The the scene where they, uh, well, they meet Kevin McCarthy when he, yeah. you know, there's the downtown scene. Mm-hmm. Um, other than that, I, I kind of felt like the walls closing in on this movie, which I, I liked mm-hmm. because at the same time, you know that yeah, it's happening here, but it's also happening, happening everywhere. everywhere. Yeah. yeah. Heed the warning. They should have hit out in 42nd Street because, <laughs> like, it just seemed like, I don't know. It would suck to be one of those pod people and come down and realize that your new life fucking sucks. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Why it's did like, we start with the like, grindhouse? And then when they're running from the grindhouse, you see the, like, do the aliens, like, Come in, see the world's topless dancers. See blood splattered bride. Twenty (laughs) twenty sexy girls and one ugly one. Come on in. You know, it's like, but like it was just kind of funny because like the the one on forty seven like, come on in, you feel real human. I was like. I'm hiding from aliens. I'll want to go feel right. human. I would hide out in the strip club. Not because I'm like, you know, hey, I'm going to go in the strip club, but like, that's another bonus. You know, I'm hiding out and like, make it rain. <laughs> Maximizing, if you will. Right, right, right. <laughs> no, it's it's one of those, I think it, it, there's a reason that it still holds up, even within the, the strength of the cast. And it's only missing someone like Christopher Walken to For give you remake. kind of that, well, then, well, just the, the crazy actors doing their crazy thing, which just adds so much to the film itself. And also, you know, in the background, we've been playing some of the score from Dawn of the Dead, but as you mentioned, I'm going to have to turn the ad on that, uh, but the score itself doesn't really hold a, you know, a candle to Dawn of the Dead. And again, you ultimately have to look at, you know, putting these two films together, but if you maybe had a more memorable score to go along with everything... Well, there's hardly any score in it. There it's is. Very, it's the special it, effects, the, or the sound effects, sound effects. Mm-hmm. is what I think makes this movie stand out. Yeah. As opposed to Dawn of the Dead, for example. I think there's just the creepiness of the whole process Ooh. when the bodies mm-hmm. are being created. I, that, for me, is I, one of the highlights of the film. That, 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 how does it go on the... That weird, like that process itself is so unnerving, and the fact that it's you know only when you sleep. And let me tell you, I need my sleep. I have a feeling I'd probably be the first to go. I was saying the same thing. I was thinking the same thing. Like if they came and they were put plant there, I'd be dead because I'm like, shit, I'm tired. I'm gonna take a nap before I fight these aliens, you know. And just and did anybody notice like there was always like a weird faint heartbeat when those like yeah. Uh, Leonard Nimoy or characters that would later become aliens were around. They're like. That's why I think that the 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 music, the musical soundtrack, this it is generic. Mm-hmm. You know, it, there it, it's not all the way through the film, but it's the sound effects mm-hmm. that, the sound that yeah. make this movie to me. I. Really well, you, stand out. You mix that then with the really good visuals with the special effects that go along, especially the half-processed... Um, Goldblum? Yeah. Oh, though, I mean, that's nightmarish. That's the kind of stuff that... <laughs> yeah. there, was a, there was a movie going back to PG, 80s PG called Strange Invaders. Do you remember that yeah. one? Mm-hmm. That scene when the alien basically peels its face off, yeah. just being yeah. that traumatized... The first time I saw this film, I remember those replicants or whatever they were, just tr- they were so scary looking. And to this day, they're still, they still give me the chills. 
yeah. Frightening. And the fact that they kind of like suck you dry. Yeah. You know, just like, <laughs> and you're just a shell. Well, that's, I think you see it for the first time on Brooke Adams' face when she's first oh, being, in, it's just a little bit on yeah. the cheek, right? Like little veiny, you know, and then plants. they wake her up and fine, you know, and then of course at the end it just happens very, very quickly because she's knocked out, she's not going to wake up, she's done. It's just the 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 buds itself just seems so like grotesque and fascinating. So this movie is anti horticulturist, I believe. Right when the flowers opened up and it looks like human skin with the veining in yeah. it and the the uh, the blossom in there looks like like a blood. It's just really like Ugh. it gives you the, it, the the film. I think would pair really well with like the thing. Just yeah. in terms of, again, yeah. just they're coming to get you, but it also just chill-inducing. Mm-hmm. So many things work well. So final thoughts before we transition over to Dawn of the Dead, before we even show our work and break everything down on Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Mm. I don't think so. I, you know, I, I just kind of mentioned that from a marketing perspective, do you guys remember those photo novels that, that came out in the late 70s? This mm-hmm. had a photo novel. That this there was a, was it <laughs> on the back cover? And there was a few movies that they they did the the photo novel treatment to, and it was color. I remember was it uh, Ice Castles with Robbie Benson had an, a yeah. photo novel. <laughs> uh, Buck Rogers and Battlestar Galactica did then Island or um, Invasion of the Body Snatchers. So it's just That's weird bizarre. that some of these kind of things. And it was just like a very brief period of time, and then you know, but it was basically like reading a comic book. And I remember. Mm. I don't have it. I didn't get it. I wanted to get it. And I was like, my mom was like, that's too adult for you. Because <laughs> I was 11 when this movie came out. So I couldn't go see these movies in the theater. Um, and I didn't see this one actually until probably mid-80s when it popped up on HBO. And I wasn't even supposed to be watching it then because, you know, I was still, you know, a sensitive young lad, according to my mom. So <laughs> Sneaking a peek when you can. Well, you know, I had cable in my room. And so that was, oh. the, that was the black and white TV. Let's turn the dial just a little bit to the right. <laughs> and HBO comes in perfect. So <laughs> that's how I saw about 100% of my horror films in the 1980s. <laughs> on a Friday night when mom and dad were asleep, I was watching Friday the 13th and My Bloody Valentine at 2 in the morning. That's how we all... <laughs> yeah. And it makes it that much more sweet. Right. You? Well, and, yeah, you knew that at 32 minutes and 22 seconds, you were going to have nudity. And so when you saw that come up, he was like, okay, what time is it now? Okay, right. I've got to stay awake long enough to see this scene. <laughs> Speaking of nudity, the no nipples. That was weird. Did that, that also was, throw you off? It was no. It would, it like kind of like whoa, you know. And then it, it, in the and then it, if Sutherland wasn't haunting enough, like half baby Sutherland. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's very true. Well, they they kind of fit the uncanny valley, if you will, because obviously nowadays they would probably even make them CGI potentially. But then just the replicants themselves, when they're not, when they're still half baked, yeah, and then you, yeah, not fully formed. <laughs> so <to> Samson. <laughs> so going from a remake to a man, a, a sequel that was a long time in the making, um, and what is no one argues that this isn't one of the all-time greatest horror films. And we mentioned the last episode. There's not a lot that we can say that hasn't already been said. But I love hearing your guys' opinions. So your thoughts on George A. Romero's Dawn of the Dead. I'll start off and, and I'll just throw it out there. I hadn't seen this movie in probably 15 years. I got it, one of the early DVD editions of it, having just rewatched Night of the Living Dead a couple months ago. And these are first time viewings for my fiance. So I'm inter- I kind of sit back and yes. watch her. She loves the original, it's one of her favorite out of all the films I've introduced her to. And she does not like Dawn of the Dead. Um, and so. 
I kind of sat back and, and, and looked at it, you know, and then comparing it to Invasion. Um, I don't know that Dawn of the Dead holds up as well as Invasion. I think you could take Invasion and stick it in 2018 and it would blend in, um, even with creepy Donald Sutherland. Um, <laughs> but if you took Dawn of the Dead and, and stuck it in 2018, I don't know that it would hold up. I mean, it, it is, it's, it definitely, in the very, there's moments where it screams 1978. Well, it's supposed to, to a certain extent. I mean, that's the whole comment it's making about consumerism it is. and malls yeah. and all of that. So do you mean, you mean just style-wise? I think, think I think, I, I think style-wise, I think there, for me, you've got the difference in, in the zombies, right? You've got a lot mm-hmm. of the blue face zombies, but then when the one cop changes, he obviously has much better special effects on that one. There's an inconsistency uh, between the zombies and the film, which is fine. I mean, we've got eight gazillion different versions of zombies, mm-hmm. walkers, whatever we're calling them these days. And, you know, so, but to have those in one movie, I it, it never really stood out to me until this one. Because I knew this one was like, yeah, this is the blue face zombies. But <laughs> then when you see that one, it's like, okay, why did he change so quickly? Or visually, why is he looking so different than the others? Why didn't he start off that way? I don't know. Because we care colder. for him. Yeah, because it was colder. <laughs> right. <laughs> I just, it, it stood out to me more than, than I did, you know, I'd seen in previous viewings. Um, you, I, know, you know, I would actually argue it's probably because we care for him. And the fact that he's turned, the more ghoulish you can make him, the harder it is to kind of reconcile the humanity he once had. So rather than just being blue-faced and easy to kill, make him more gnarled, I guess. Well, I, I, I would agree. That was the reason probably why they did that, but... It's still, I guess, it's still, from a technical standpoint, yep, nope, I, it, yeah, I know it's like it's your man dog. It's, yeah. yeah, it's your man dog. It's, it's my. It pulled me out. I was like, why? Why? You know, I was like, okay, nope. Scientific brain put it over here. I don't know. That to me is is a, something that stuck with me this time. Um, and the music is like so iconic, yet so weird and out of place, yet in place at the same time because it's you know you know what the the the. Uh, you know, consumerism mm-hmm. message they're trying to do, and it ties in with all these weird, you know, motions going on. And the at the same moment, it's it's so uniquely bizarre. It kind of pulls me out, yet pulls me in because I know that this. You hear that, I, you think <coughs> Dawn of the Dead right away. So it's odd because it kind of pulls me in, pulls me out, pulls me in, pulls me out. I probably like this least of all of you. I mean, I like it, but it, speaking of not holding up as well as Invasion of the Body Snatchers, it doesn't hold up as well as Night of the Living Dead, which is just, to me, about perfect. I the, would agree. I would agree mm-hmm. with that. Yeah. The whole consumerism comment thing, I don't... I get it. That's a theme or an idea, but that's all it is. And, to, I mean, how many times do we see zombies stumbling through the mall with cheesy elevator music playing and <laughs> i mean it's i don't get the i guess impact of that on the movie as a whole um so and i think it's I, <laughs> as a movie i don't think it's i don't think it's a, a particularly well-made movie i think it's too long i think oh the, yeah yeah it's the part sort of in the middle where they're kind of running back and forth from pennies to their little hideout and all that is kind of repetitive and doesn't have any point um so i'm sorry but no are you kidding that's why again i love the input on that no because you're listen and there are so many different cuts of that film as it is like there's there's the argento cut there's the director's cut the theatrical cut the 
And I will admit, um, I had the opportunity recently to host a screening of it, and there were a lot of first-timers watching it. And I even mentioned, I mentioned, said, you know, it runs a little long because you almost have to forewarn people on this because this film has such a reputation that it almost precedes. And for a lot of people, they... You, that, like you said, you, you said sorry. You don't. That's horrible. You should never have to <laughs> well, say that. That's, I, I, I certainly feel like I'm in the minority on that. No, but. well, so, but you, but that's uh, that's the beauty. Yeah, of I mean, I would never that. make a passionate argument to somebody that it's not a good movie. Yeah, no, I absolutely. Just, I don't prefer it. No, that's this. No. The beauty of subjectivity of horror. Yeah. I, I have a question for you. So yeah. there's a a line in the movie uh, when they talk about the zombies. They whipped them, whipped them good. I automatically thought of Devo, and I thought, oh, that's cool. (laughs) That that came after Dawn of the Dead. So is Devo somehow paying tribute to Dawn of the Dead? I (laughs) hope so. When a zombie comes along, you (laughs) must rip it. You know, the guy that actually put Devo together is basically a next-level genius, so there's something be. he said he, he might, totally Mark Mothersbrow might have uh Well, we know too. if he didn't draw influence from Whippet, we obviously know uh, Anthony Hillcox from Waxwork yeah. took some inspiration from Whippet on that. So, ultimately... Oh, go ahead, oh, genius. I'm going to have to disagree with you on not being able to put Dawn of the Dead in contemporary times. Uh, I think... Uh, for me personally, uh, one the whole like I'd I'd loved these uh, just the madness of the mall and, and I'm trying to think of the remake too. I remember seeing this and it, once again I think with all the arguments that you said you're 100% correct, but there's just something just really poignant to me about this. I mean, and even in, even the, the the shenanigans of it, it's just I liked that aspect. I've always maybe it's my own fondness for the mall but i still think that you can still put that in today but with a little bit of a modern spin well they'd have to have it at a a nice outdoor mixed use space you know yeah yeah Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) have it at the legends yeah (laughs) zona rosa of the day (laughs) (laughs) you know the the um the problem i did have with this was that i had seen the the remake more Mm -hmm. recently than this and so I kept. Exp- I was like, okay, what? Which was in what movie? <laughs> you know, I knew certain things obviously were in the remake, but I was like trying to remember. Is like, well, are they going to go to the hardware store that's across the street? You remember? I couldn't remember. <laughs> and that that actually was throwing me out of the movie a little bit because I was, I was, you know, I'd look at the time. I was like, well, yeah, we still have forty five minutes left in this film. There's enough time for that subplot. <laughs> And then, well, we never leave. We never get there. And then I'm like, no, that was in this, the, the the remake. So that was a problem I had. And, and that, no fault of anyone's other than, you know, when you have remakes out there that are in some ways so similar, yeah. yet different. Because I had the same thing going on with Halloween. There was a, I was trying to, to remember, it was like, what was revealed in Halloween and, and, you know, Carpenter's version versus Zombie's version. Because, mm-hmm. again, I had seen Zombie's version more recently than Carpenter's because I watched Carpenter right before Zombie's came out and I haven't revisited them since. So that that was uh, – both things kind of pulled me out of the moment, and I wish that hadn't happened. But um, I think it's inevitable when you got too many different – I don't want to say too many, but you got different versions of the same movie. Mm-hmm. Um you can kind of start doing a mix mash in your head and it pulls me out or was the remake the first time they used fast zombies not necessarily i think that would technically you could go back to return oh well they did use fast zombies yeah Yeah. well see that's how zach 
Snyder solved the running time problem. He right. just made the zombies Smart fast. Man. <laughs> I can compact this. I can do this. I it, have the tools. The remake was a lot more brisk than the <laughs> original. The original does tend to... Well, that's the other thing, as you mentioned, though. It truly is of its time now to the fact that mall culture is as dead as a zombie. You know, that's. I don't think that's coming back like a zombie yeah. will. So today's audience, that's hard for them to connect with. Especially the fact that they're like, why are you at a mall? Why aren't you just, you know, ordering from your phone? Well, we have, yeah, we have Oak Park Mall here and, <laughs> and the Independence one, which is in the process of going bankrupt. And I don't think Oak Park's going to go anywhere anytime soon. They seem to stay busy. Mm-hmm. But there's a lot of cities that don't have that. Yeah. And so, and, and again, kids growing up, unless you are close to Oak Park Mall, you know, you're probably not going to be able to come from, you know, the, the Northlands to all the way down to Oak Park because it's not a neighborhood mall no. anymore. So if, if they set it in a Walmart, I think it would be okay. <laughs> I, it would be a lot shorter. It would be the express lane, which might be to its like credit. But I that think, could be like, the subtitle. Yeah, and there we go. <laughs> so we gotta we've got these two classics going against each other, and we gotta see which one is going to advance into the round of the. Hateful Eight. And so this is the part where we are going to have you guys show your work. So we're going to put these two together. And we've got two categories, again, in terms of showing our work. The first one, as we always do, we got to tend to, you know, dip into the nostalgia well and decide which one is closer to your heart. See, I didn't do the, the Getty Lee impression <laughs> that time. You were waiting for it. I bet somebody I will. Was, I was. <laughs> yeah, I was. And then the uh, other category, and this one actually, you got to go with a little bit more with your head. But if you were to remove one of those films, which one would leave 1978 poorer? And so we're going to go ahead and we're going to start with Rich on this one. Uh, we're going to start with which one of these, Invasion of the Body Snatchers or Dawn of the Dead, is closer to your heart? I'm going to say Invasion because I remember seeing it back in the 80s. I remember seeing that photo novel. Um, I was aware of Dawn of the Dead, but um, I didn't get a chance to see that until, again, uh, maybe 15 years ago, honestly. I mean, that's how late I came to that party. Um, Dawn uh, Dawn of the Dead and Day of the Dead. Now, I'd seen Return of the Living Dead back in the day, but Dawn and Day I hadn't seen until about 15 years ago. So, yeah, Invasion probably is nearer and dearer to my heart. That's the it gives you, again, that's the closer to the one. So, Jeff, how about yourself? Well, Contradicting what I said earlier, I'm actually going to go with Dawn of the Dead because I have a much better theater-going experience seeing that than I do Invasion. I I didn't grow up in Kansas City, but we would come here often. We'd either go here or to Dallas to shop and see the big movies and all of that. And we were here on a weekend, and they were having a midnight screening of Dawn of the Dead at Bannister Mall, the, oh, the wow. AMC Theater across the parking wow. lot. At So midnight movie, went there, and I was scared out of my pants at that i hadn't seen anything that gory or and and just the the mythos behind it you know of how shocking this was going to be and and sitting in that theater late at night i'm tired it's dark i didn't know then you know the kind of area bannister mall would turn out to be but (laughs) uh had i known that would have added to the experience so i'm i'm going with don and i wanted to see it on the midnight movie it played in wichita and i but i lived just north of wichita the only midnight movie I was allowed to go see on a Friday night, I wouldn't get home until like three in the morning, right? Because we lived that far enough yeah. away, was Rocky Horror Picture Show. And that that was like an act of God in my senior year for me to be able to come home <laughs> at three in the morning. So, I, But I remember seeing it ad in the paper for years. I, I wanted to see it. I never I never could. Well, it's funny you mentioned the Banished Mall and the, the theater across the way. Actually, I distinctly remember seeing Shoot to Kill. In the theater, that one with Sidney Poitier and Tom Berenger and Kirstie Alley. Yes, <laughs> Just, I love that, that movie. Was, oh, it's a great movie. So, a uh, genius. Mm-hmm. Which one is closer to your heart? Uh, now, 
three reasons for uh, Dawn of the Dead. Okay, okay. one, uh, <laughs> I absolutely love zombie movies. Uh, it was so fantastic. Uh, they're just like one of my favorite things. But one of the things I remember, I saw it way before, but I used to work, speaking of malls, at a little place called War Parkway at Suncoast Video. No. And <laughs> the one of my first times that I used my paycheck that I've earned from that money and discount was on the two cassette yes. collector's yes. edition of Dawn of the Dead. And I was so happy and so proud and watched it, and I loved it. And the other reason is the gonk is so ingrained in my head that I would be remiss if I didn't say Dawn of the Dead. And I mean, it closes out every single one of our shows, mm-hmm. and that does that for a reason. For me as well. For me, it's it's, and it's for me it's a no brainer, even though it has nothing to do with Romero zombies. <laughs> we'll give that one to Return of the Living Dead. But for me, it is again. I enjoyed both of these films growing up, but Don, like you mentioned, it had the reputation. It was the one that I would be looking behind my shoulder to make sure if my folks walked in, they're not going to freak out. But as you, and also as you said, half the time that I didn't have to worry about because they were meandering through the mall. Yeah. Uh, but ultimately, it still held up. The gore, the music, love the music. Goblin, just so wonderfully weird, weird, and they're still touring. And playing the music of Dawn of the Dead, of you know their that'd be dope to see. Ar- yeah, the Argento work. So for me, I definitely got to go with Dawn of the Dead. Now that being said, and this is the one you have to definitely really think about because you, which one, if you took it away, would leave 1978 poor? And that's a difficult one, just in terms of what both of these did for the genre. So who would like to go first on that? Okay, Richard, let's let's. What do you have to say on that one? It would be Dawn of the Dead. Okay. Um, Invasion had a bigger budget. It was a glossier production, had bigger stars. I don't know how successful it was at the box office, but I'm going to say probably more successful than Dawn of the Dead. Um, it came and it went. You know, it it uh, it had a, a remake, you know, 20 years later. Yeah. yeah but, you know, it, it did. It kind of came and went. And um, it was a movie that, you know, you see it, but did you see it all the time? Is it something you wanted to clamor to the video store to see? No, it wasn't. You know, I can sit there and say, I prefer it. I love it. It's a better film. But Dawn of the Dead left an impression, right? It, it had that, the midnight movie. It may not have made money on the first run, but it made it for oh, years yeah, later. It and it made it on the video cassette sales and the DVD sales and the Blu-ray sales. And um, if you if you take it away and you take Invasion, and if you take Invasion away... It, I don't think it would change the the horror genre. Um, Dawn of the Dead was instrumental in in the the zombie genre. I mean, Lucio Fulci zombie, and and <laughs> it, it, it ties into that. And if you take Dawn of the Dead away, you know, yeah, we had some zombie films prior to that. Even year before, we had what Shockwaves with with you know Peter oh, Cushing. Yes, but we did. Speaking of Cushing, yes, Dawn of the Dead put it on a, on another level, and it was Romero and. And that this film allowed Romero to continue to make other films, for better or for worse, uh, and we wouldn't have got Day of the Dead, you know, in, in the mid '80s. So yeah, I would say Dawn. No, that makes sense. Did you frame this a little differently last year? Because I had in my mind uh, thinking about this was what, uh, what future? How would it be influenced or adversely by not having it? Uh, the rather next, than just the next the year round. Suffering. That's oh, when we go okay. into it. Yep. Okay. Well, uh, I have to go with Dawn of the Dead, but it's. Uh, I'm unsure really how uh, 
Well, my points uh, apply to your next episode, so I'll listen and see if you all bring up the same points. It's it's Dawn of the Dead. No, no, and it makes no, and that's but, what's interesting yeah. is the fact that both of you definitely, and that's the other thing is again, Invasion was such a sweet revisit that I enjoyed it. it you don't, you can not necessarily, you can like one more or the other, but then also subjectively, then objectively look yeah. and say, well, you right. know, definitely. So that's the beauty of it, though. The beauty mm-hmm. of yep. it, genius. Yep. Um, I'm gonna come out and say that Invasion is a superiorly made movie but like you said the significance of this movie and I everything you say I have to agree with everything you say is there's nothing else that can be said this is an important movie in all different ways so I gotta go Don bottom line with invasion if you take invasion of the body snatchers from 1978 you still have the original and honestly I think the 78 version is probably the best version that's out there but yet we still have other versions available that came out. So I think those would have would have been inevitable. So without even the 78 version, there's still there's some stuff there. But man, you take like you guys said, if you take Don out of the equation, do we get Day of the Dead? Do we get Creepshow? Mm-hmm. Do we get Night Riders? You know, God forbid. That's important. And it, it is a landmark film. It is a reason it is so revered. And I've got to go with Don as well. And Quick question. Do you guys something you brought up about the remake? Do you guys do we already talk about this? Do you guys prefer the remake or the original of Invasion? Uh, I, for me, they stand on their own. I mean, I because it, I am I'm always going to gravitate towards a black and white film because that's just you know I'm I'm a little bit older and I love the classic <laughs> films, but I also enjoy the movies seventies and eighties. I enjoy contemporary horror, horror not as much, but you know if it's a well made film, I can yeah. I can enjoy it. Um, so. I, to me, I can I can separate them because they're very much, I mean, Invasion is very much of its time because there's the subtext of that particular film, you know, with, with the Russians and the Cold War, which you don't have in 78. Um, and in 78, you know, without that subtext, you have more of the graphic nature of the, the creation of the, of the, of the, you know, replacements or whatever we want to call them, the body snatchers. Um <laughs> You don't pod have, people. yeah, the pod people, which it's pod much less. <laughs> pod. <laughs> it's much less than the original. I mean, it's it's not yeah. as graphic. It's you know, but it you do have that one night scene where they're by the bar and they're looking at the body or whatever. You know, um, I don't know. I, I I think both. I don't think I can choose one or the other. I haven't seen the original in a long, long time. Even so, I by memories of it, I think I prefer the original. Yeah. Cool. That makes sense. That makes sense. I'm going to say something very, um, I don't know, controversial. You like the Nicole Ver- Kidman version. <laughs> <laughs> it's I I I enjoy the but for Dawn of the Dead. Depending on the day, I prefer the remake. That's okay. I, it's I a mean, safe like, place, genius. You can say I, that. Here, right? I, so, I know that, like, but I mean, something about the Dawn of the Dead remake, I just really fucking enjoy. And so that's why I wanted to ask you guys about the remake versus thing because you guys are classic. I would agree. I would agree. I, I'm going to go with the remake of Dawn. Yeah, but I can appreciate the original yeah. for what it was yeah. and, and where it came from. And, but if I had to choose which two to watch, um, I would choose the remake because it moves quicker. It's mm-hmm. a slightly better made film, maybe not as iconic. But ultimately, for me, a little more enjoyable. But yeah. I can still respect the importance that the 78 version had. Hmm. Cool. So on a count of <laughs> 7 to 1, officially here, so when there's no more room in the Scream 16, the dead will move to the Fateful Eight, and so Dawn of the Dead is moving forward. All right. As it is. And now, 
It comes down to our final two of the episode, or for at least for our for our podcast here, and this is another tough one. And I'll be honest, when I knew we were going to be doing 1978, and I knew Halloween was released that year, this is this is I'm, it's hard for me not to be biased with this film. But we are putting Halloween up against Piranha, so I'm going to throw it out to you guys. Which one do we talk about first? Lead us away. Let's do Piranha first. (laughs) Save the best for last. Okay, so let's talk about Piranha. What did you guys think? Um, It had been a while, a long time since I'd seen this one. And I I want to say maybe circa 1990 since I had seen this. And I didn't see it back in the day. And I didn't see it on HBO. Um, Late night TV somewhere in 1990. (laughs) And then that was it. I'd never seen it since then. Uh, I've seen the remake a few years ago with Elizabeth Shue. Actually enjoyed that one. I did too. <laughs> uh, I went to the theater to see Piranha 3 Double D. And, and <laughs> Me too. My brain cells haven't recovered from that. Um, I should have known. David Hasselhoff in a horror movie, just that just tells you right there. Where yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah, I mean, I didn't. I don't have a connection to this film necessarily, but I, you know, aware of it. Uh, it was... I don't want to say it was a first time viewing for me, but it felt like that because it had been so long. I, re- I remembered bits and pieces, mm-hmm. but then there was whole chunks of the film. Like I have no idea if I've ever seen this, but then I was like, Oh no, wait, I did yeah. see this. So I think I did see it on HBO. I know I didn't see it in a theater. I Technically. Yeah. This is the only one. Correct. Right. 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 It, I think it's a lot of fun. I mean, it's, it's mm-hmm. they, they yeah, sort of is. say it's a horror comedy. I don't know if it's outright, you know, humor and attempt to make you <laughs> laugh, but it does have a good time with itself and uh, connection with Kevin McCarthy from, yes. yeah, yeah. And he does the most elaborate, elongated pronunciation of the word piranha. 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 I love it. I love that so much. To me, it's it's like a rainy day Saturday afternoon matinee. It's fun. If you just if you just want to stick something in and just have a lighthearted ninety minutes, yeah, that's perfect. Something you said the Kevin McCarthy connection, and something that uh, Ving Rhames was in the remake of Piranha, Piranha, and Ving Rhames was in the remake <laughs> of Dawn of the he Dead. Was, so, yes. so Ving Rhames is our, our generation's Kevin McCarthy. <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> And that's the sound of Mr. McCarthy rolling over in his grave. Wow. I don't think that's an amazing comparison, actually. We got the meats. (laughs) And then ultimately, I think the reason why it is so charming and why it works so well is it's Joe Dante. That's ultimately what I love about these two films going head to head is we've got two of the masters in the horror genre early in their careers and really setting the tone. No, this is a Joe Dante movie, but this is a... Roger um, Corman? This is a Corman <laughs> movie through yeah. and through. Not only does it have the gratuitous nudity, the children getting maimed, oh. but it also has the Futtermans. It has, <laughs> Dick, I had this running theory that a long time ago, like thousands of years ago, like one of the Futtermans was cursed, like the ancestors, <laughs> so they all have to die, or there's like the whole weird Futterman universe. So, yeah, Dick Miller always the Futter, gets his. The Futterman Cinematic Universe mm-hmm. is something that really needs to be explored. Chopping Mall, Gremlin, anything he's in and he dies horrifically, it's the Futterman curse. Also, you get Paul Bartel showing up. You get a lot of these Corman regulars, which really adds a lot of spice to that. So, as you mentioned, what did you feel? Let me ask you this. Are you fans of going into either large bodies of water or small bodies of water? 
I've always and, been more of a large body of water. For me, it, it, something about going into a lake, it just feels slimy. Mm-hmm. And, and mm-hmm. yeah, I, I'm, mm-hmm. I, ocean I'm fine with. I know that there's a shark 100 feet away that can just <laughs> bite my ass any minute, but... The lake, you know, there's there's a sea creature or something like, <laughs> like the, the black lagoon. Yeah, or the creature from the black lagoon is gonna pop up, or he's gonna you know, tickle. I no, he's no, I yeah. He's gonna tickle you with the tentacles. Yeah, he is. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and that's a whole another genre. I don't want to exactly. Make. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's another podcast. Jeff, what about you? Oh, the same. I I think we maybe all agree on that. It's just everything's closer to you in the lake, so no matter what it is, it's in nearer proximity, and you're in greater danger. It's it's the intimacy. It's horrible. Yes. yes. If, if the question is if I'm a lake person or an ocean person, we, the yeah, answer that's... is no. No, 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 no. Do not go into the body of water. Only pools. There's I... one thing I love about piranha. It's, it, you know, these fish are rapidly eating people up. <laughs> and yet they, the cause of death is not that. It's loss of blood. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that's Which, funny. Which, then that's... Oh, oh, man. See, and that's the kind of humor it instills. It's truly True. dark humor. Yes. Mm-hmm. And we talked about last episode is you if you get a good underwater terror from beneath film and you have the skin enough to kill a kid in your film... Not a kid. Yeah, m- multiple. Lots of kids. Lots of kids. And those kills are... That's a nasty way to go. Just the fact that oh, you're yeah. you're not even eaten alive, as you said, you're snacked upon and then left to die. Well, you know, and, and I, another thing in this movie that you've you've always got, you know, kids in a horror film, IQ, bam, your dead's down yeah. immediately, you well, know. The, the, but in this one, they take it to the next level. <laughs> We're gonna crawl underneath the government fence. Mm-hmm. Oh, and there's a pool that looks like it's swampland. Let's take off all our clothes and jump <laughs> right in, right? You know, and it's like, really? You know, it's like, yeah. Well, we talked and about focus it. on the breasts on for the, a while. Yes, like, yeah. The seventies. <laughs> well, both of the Jaws two and Piranha, we mentioned at the last episode, but they're pseudo slashers, and you just they hit all those specific tropes. And the fact that the horny kids unleashes yeah. this government created, and it's always the government yeah. behind all of this. It's the hubris of man comes to back to bite him in the ass. The quite hubris literally. of Bing Rains. <laughs> uh, and then another thing that I also enjoyed about this film, you mentioned also, is the charm of it. But the cast, and you get those Corman regulars. Uh, is there anything in particular that you could have worked differently with the cast, or has it worked pretty well for you? It works well for me. I, I mean, yeah, I can't it, think of anything. I think everyone was perfect. I can't imagine. I can't think of anyone that would work better in this film. I mean, for what it was. Yeah. You know, this film doesn't pretend that it's going to be the Academy Award-winning film of the year. Yeah. It's no. It's a Saturday afternoon matinee flick. It's it's a B-grade film on a good day. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. It, it does. It knows what it is, which yeah. is what well, Roger then, Corman yeah. knows what he makes. He yeah. knows that he's not. You know, shooting for the stars. He he's you know he's shooting for the grass on the other side of the hill on, again. Yeah, on a good day. So he, it knows that it's a Jaws parody. Oh know, yeah, you know yeah. it knows that it's a Jaws parody. Let's just amp step up. It's just. But like you mentioned, there were a lot of things that I forgot were in the movie that when we were rewatching, and I was like, I don't. Re- I, how did I miss that part? It was incredible. It was a lot of fun with that. So, what'd you think? What was the question? No, uh, no, it's, it's no. I yeah, I don't. 
if you're going to try to nitpick to make it better, you're missing the point. I yeah. Mean, yeah. It's, it's fine as it is. And with the, the Dante sensibilities, just the cartoon, you know, cr- what he brings to the film. It truly. was a cartoon. I'm surprised, like, at one point in time when, like, they're eating everybody, they didn't, like, somebody get up and they're, like, half skeleton. <laughs> like, oh, no! You know, just, like, drink something and just have it, like, fall out. <laughs> just, you have to wait for the remake on that one. Right. Yeah. And this one also doesn't give you the, the 3D severed penis as well, which was just one of those, seeing that in a theater and people people lost their shit on that, which was quite great. So, from a pseudo-slasher to a legitimate slasher, and again, one master to the other, from Dante from Dante to Carpenter, and from Piranha to Halloween. Hey, everybody. <laughs> it's rearing his ugly head again. Jeff, you mentioned you saw this in the theater. I did. Very memorable to me. I was in high school, and I went, I took maybe, I don't know how many times I saw it, multiple times. And to this day, every time I see it, and I think, all right, it's not going to work this time. I've just seen it too many times. It works every single time. Every time when he's trying to break in the closet and get to Lori, I just... That when is, she is scrunched up like that? Oh, my God. The music, I well, the music's iconic. I don't remember exactly every placement of every note like I did back then, but I would literally, you know, airplay <laughs> the piano as we were watching it. <laughs> Love the music. That's another... There's, so many things about it that just make it that hold up uh, over time. It just—I just think for me, it will never. Its impact will never lessen. I think that having seen the zombie version last, like mm. I said, there was a few things. It's like, well, that happened the zombie, or that happened this one. But there's just no comparison. Zombie was a true slasher film, film, and of course, when you get to Halloween too, let's not even talk about the fact that Michael Myers just goes off in a whole another tangent in that film but ethereal plane yes yeah. but and that's what i loved about this one is that it, yeah it's a slasher film but man the violence is is secondary mm-hmm. the blood and gore is is you know secondary it's it's the atmosphere of this film it's the music it's the fall setting it's the leaves falling off the trees i mean there's so much there's just masterful shots and imagery in what it can be a very bland time of year in some ways it, the days are getting shorter it's getting colder but it you you feel it when you watch the movie it's just he just he pulls you into this film and it it yeah it doesn't get any less over the years it's been a while since i'd seen it i knew the outcome i know what's going to happen and donald pleasance i mean <laughs> yeah, i just you know he and he plays i think himself in every movie because i've i don't seen him i've never seen him do anything other than that six times he's done it <laughs> <laughs> and he's just he's so good you yeah. know and i think that's when i watched the zombie uh, version you know malcolm mcdowell as much as i like him mm-hmm. he's he, not a loomis no he's not you know and then what they do to him in the second film it just it makes it <gasps> fed him first, to weird al well yeah and then the first film when you see it knowing if you've seen the second film you're like uh, no i want donald pleasance i i can't watch the zombie version really anymore after i've done it and seeing this again just solidifies that if i want my halloween fix I'm going to I'm going to watch this one, you know, um, or Season of the Witch, but that's a whole nother one. <laughs> <laughs> Only a few more days to Halloween, right? <laughs> well, you guys mentioned it. It's there's a reason we still talk about it so many years later. There's a reason why Carpenter is still held in such reverence from the fact that it was written 
co-written by Deborah Hill, of course, yeah. uh, directed, and the score. I mean, it's that score. Um, we were lucky enough to see him live, and this is... Uh, so, you had a chance to see it in the theater. There's some really interesting YouTube footage out there, and it's a crowd reacting from 1978 in the theater, and I think oh, wow. it may have been in Kansas City, and it's the scene where he rises up, and then he does the... And people, you can hear them losing their shit in the... And it, it made me teary-eyed just to hear people reacting, that yeah. genuine reaction, because this is a film that has been with me for so long. That it's, oh, it's, well, <laughs> it, it had its premiere in Kansas City. Yes, yeah. it did. Yeah, because mm-hmm. that was one of the extras that I did rewatch on there. I forgot that, and that's kind of cool. We got a feather in our cap that we can say, hey, you know, Carpenter came here. started right here, so... No, it's I. But is there anything in particular, like any? You know, Jeff, you mentioned the music. Rich, is there anything particular that stands out for you regarding Halloween? I think the the music and the fact that it's it's more suspenseful than in your face gore. Yeah. Um, which is is why there's just no comparison between it and the remakes. I mean, the remakes. It's clearly it's well it's zombie so the gore is <laughs> the gore is going to overtake it and yeah. which you get and then that you get the the what we get in so many contemporary horror films it's the heavy metal soundtrack which sometimes works but when you compare it to what Carpenter did that's a soundtrack that's just not picking some random heavy metal songs and and throwing a, you know a bucket of blood at the screen right. Hey, we're we're creating a film, and we're not going to rely on the the blood effects to carry the film, and where we're using that music to to just bring in the suspense and suck you into this world, and to the point, like you said, you can see this numerous times, but there's there's it's suspenseful, you know, and every time he pops up, you know, oh, oh. Mm-hmm. there's a few times, you know, that again the stupid teenager mode kicks in, is like. There's a guy standing behind the bush. I don't know if I would run to the bush. Yeah, that's... You know, I just... But then again, you know, they it, they probably haven't seen any slasher films in right. 1978. <laughs> well, so. I always... that because wasn't a lot to choose from. This <laughs> film has just scared me to the bone, and so I always would try to rationalize certain scenes, and what always got me through that scene is I can imagine, because he's gone, long gone by the time she gets there, so he, she's running. He had to be hauling ass along that brushway to get to, like, behind the house or something. Yeah. <laughs> Have you guys had a chance to see Tragedy Girls by any chance? No. No. Okay. Yeah, check it out. There's a well-played ploy on the whole Michael Myers. When going to the end of the film, obviously, and the the when you get to the old Pleasance, I shot him six times. Mm. When you get to that great reveal when he's gone, Tragedy Girls has a bit in there that is a loving homage to that. That it was probably one of the funniest moments from a film from last year, and it, it was, was just <laughs> the logical conclusion of what happens if you're shot six times, and even if you're Michael Myers, yeah. it's wonderful. And let's not forget the performance of Jamie Lee Curtis. Oh, no, I mean, no, it is. Not. It, it becomes more perfect every time I watch it. Agreed. Yeah. It's bugged me a little bit. She seems a little old for a high school girl, but nevertheless, she is just fantastic in that. And I mean, that's she, there's a yeah. reason they want her to be the consistent thread, I guess, in the sequel and remake. So. What are your guys' thoughts on this movie, the Halloween that's coming up? With Laurie Strode coming back, Jamie Lee Curtis. And I, I've read something, and maybe you guys can correct me or confirm that she, she she's it's it is a sequel <laughs> to the original. She's gone back to Haddonfield yes. with her own kids, where it's like they're basically negating. I think two and on two and up, yeah. So it's a direct sequel to number one. Okay, 
I guess still saying that, I was like, why the hell would you go back to Haddonfield where you've been chased by a slasher? I'm going to put my kids in the same school that I was in the day that I almost got killed. I don't know. This used to be such a safe neighborhood. <laughs> well, it actually turns out it's some weird like comment on gentrification somehow of Haddonfield. It's like, damn, David Gordon Green, I didn't think we'd get that deep on right. it. <laughs> it's one of those, I think, ultimately, I don't need it because I still have the original. I have part two, three, four, and what have you. But I'm going to go see it anyway because yeah, well, of who they have around it. Yeah. You know, if it was just one of those ca- obvious cash grabs, I'd be a little bit more suspect. But I think there's some. <laughs> <laughs> Trick or treat, motherfucker. I, I think ultimately, I think there's some genuine care behind and the, the people that are involved with this. And let's let's face it, JC, there's a good paycheck involved. He'll be involved but yeah. beyond. But the fact that he's scoring it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So he's coming back to his roots. And maybe I'm hoping that whole tour has kind of rejuvenated him. Even if it's just scoring films again, because I think he's going to be scoring um, some fantasy film. Yeah. Yeah. Really. Yeah. So that's kind of nice. And then we talk. We even threw it out last uh, episode. Uh, CNC Movie Factory with Carpenter and Cundy, and yeah. just how well they work together. And that scene when he appears right behind her, just that. Oh. How wonderful that is, and just how wonderfully crafted. Yeah, I think the opportunity to see a Halloween film in in the theater again, if, mm. if for no other reason, the last time I saw a Halloween movie was Halloween Two, and so let's watch that experience out of my mind, so I can say the last Halloween film I saw was yeah, yeah, it works, it works. Yeah. For me, I think it depends if it has a hot young cast like a Halloween H two O did. <laughs> <laughs> you know. A Kevin Williamson script there. It's something yes. that's hot. Like, I, 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 we'll see what happens there. So final thoughts on Halloween before we take it to task. Everything about Halloween to me, this, the scenery, the direction, every, every scene is iconic. And that's as about as much as I can say about that. Carefully crafted by Carpenter, I believe. Ooh, if you yes. will. So mm. let us go then. Take these. Again, we're going to show our work, see which uh, film is going to be advancing <laughs> into the round of The Hateful Eight. So I'll leave it to you guys. We're going to go ahead and go, which one of these is closer to your heart, Halloween or Piranha? Halloween, Halloween. for sure. Yeah. It, when people ask me what's my favorite movie, not just what's my favorite horror movie, my favorite movie, period, yeah. Halloween. I, it's it makes sense. It makes sense. It's hard to go against it. Rich, um, Halloween, yeah, okay, hands down. And this is the one that ultimately it doesn't have to require a lot of like explaining your work right. because right. most people right. are gonna. Well, yeah, it's Halloween. Genius. Well, although Piranha does have some <laughs> definite qualities, high qualities. For example, it is more fun and more merriment than the Halloween movies and most of the franchise. I do find that the deal with Halloween, the whole significance of it is quite fond and memorable. So yes, Halloween. Makes sense. It's the <laughs> it's the film, I the first time I saw it, I walked in on my family watching it at my aunt's house, right when the scene, when Laurie is stumbling over the staircase, the shape is going down the stairs, and you hear the dun, 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 dun. and it just stuck in my mind to the point now, tonight I guarantee playing this in the background, talking about it, I'm going to have a nightmare with that music. And I mean, it still haunts me to this day. <laughs> of course, it's going to be Halloween with the feels on that one for me. Now, this is also another one that's interesting. But again, which one, if you took it away from 1978, which one would leave the year poorer? Leave it over to the classic horrors. Halloween, I think, is hands down. <laughs> Corman would continue to make films right what happened. Yeah, Corman's gonna get fuck it. <laughs> yeah, I, I think if you, if you, I mean, we had slasher films before this one, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, you had mm-hmm. Black Christmas, Black Christmas, whatever. But 
This one kickstarted it, really. Yeah. And and if you take this away, the you know, not only does it make seventy eight poor, the trickle down effect is there's a lot that would happen in the eighties. You might lose fifty percent of your output of films in the eighties entirely. I'm talking overall. How many slasher films are made? Halloween, hands down. Yeah. yeah. 19. It's so interesting though that that we say all of the '80s slashers were inspired by Halloween, and yet they're really <laughs> so different than what they Halloween are, yeah. really yeah. was. And that, I don't know, that's interesting. I think but, Halloween opened the door, though, not necessarily inspired by, but it opened the door, opened the floodgates that allowed, right, 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 that right. allowed a string of others to to pop up. Yeah. Well, but even I mean, with Halloween too, they even started going off the rails then because mm-hmm. it was more gory. And you talk about the scene where the shape appears out of the dark. It, Halloween 2 is too crisp and clean to pull off something like that. But um, I don't know where I'm going. My no, vote, no, no, my I, vote's I, no. But that, that's really <laughs> interesting. I mean, that is that is very true. You do say a lot that, I mean, without Halloween, we would not have half the shit we have now. But even like you said, it's not the same. There was some something. There was No, there was yeah. a craft behind yeah, Halloween. There it's, was, a, it's a film. Yeah. Versus all the copycats were just movies. And I don't want to be like a snob about it, but, no, but with Carpenter, you can is. view his work as film. There's very few films that have the atmosphere that Halloween had. Oh. I always oh. thought, going off on a, on a mild tangent, but My Bloody Valentine has atmosphere, not to the yeah. level, but you've got that crazy song at the end of the movie. On the cold winter's day, there was a feel to, and it was that was the exception to the rule. You yeah, know? I think I think it's right. It's like, yeah, Halloween may have opened the door, maybe inspired some, but it still stands, you know, leaps and bounds above a lot of the the output we got in the eighties. It's the epicenter and the outliner. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's 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 in every layer of the onion when it comes to yeah. horror slashes, what have you. So genius. Um, uh, piranha. <laughs> piranha. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, honestly, you take away Piranha, you still have Jaws. You still have Orca. You have Jaws 2. <laughs> yeah. You have the Revenge. I mean, you've got Jaws all three. of those films, obviously. Yeah. You take away Halloween, you still have Black Christmas, but man, as you all said... You don't have Halloween. No. And it's in and of itself, so my God, in a clear sweep, and again, nothing against Piranha, a great film... But man, going up against Halloween, this is kind of a, this is a mercy kill, if you will. This is a, <laughs> I believe that like this is the round that no one comes home, is if you will. So uh, advancing to the round of the hateful eight, we do have Halloween, which is I think a lot of people anticipated that for the most part. There would have been a huge, I think, upset had any of those other films. But when you guys were initially Martin. talking, in... <laughs> let me ask Blah, you this: right? Would it have made any difference at all if they had been paired the opposite? Potential. I, could I mean, it, it, we don't. It, we, I mean, does versus Dawn of the Dead next round, so we'll we can see. Oh, yeah, you know, so, so I guess so. And that's again, it could have been dependent on the day we recorded. That's the beauty of this, yeah. and that's what I think makes it work so well. I gotta add to that. I the Planet Comic Con uh, John Cusack panel <laughs> yesterday. He commented when he was asked top five, top five films of all time, top five horror films, whatever. Mm-hmm. He says he's not a list guy, right? But before he wrote it off completely, he said Dawn of the Dead. He says, I would, no matter the list, horror films or films in general, he says, because it's always going to change depending on the day, but Dawn of the Dead would always be present in any top five list that he did. Nice. Wow. I mean, and that shows you the cultural importance of these particular yeah. films. Well, before we wrap everything up and you know go into the next segment here, I want to say um, 
I'm a big fan of the Movie Crypt podcast. We talk about them all the time. Um, we've had Adam Green doing a Q&A, Joe Lynch, and so forth. Uh, but they do a live podcast for their Patreons once a month. And it's a lot of fun. It's on Sundays. I go out, get my Dunkin' Donuts coffee, listen to it. But what's great is, well, number one is Adam Green puts together a half an hour like pre-show of all this music. Mm-hmm. So you just have people gathering and they start posting the questions and the little columns and everything. But he goes from everything from like Toad the Wet Sprocket to... Marilyn Manson to his band Haddonfield. So it's just, it's a lot of fun. And so you got mm-hmm. this great community. So I posed a question. I actually asked him, hey, we're recording an episode of the podcast if you had to put these four against each other. And so they talked about it, which was great. Uh, so they also both put forward uh, Halloween and Dawn of the Dead. No surprise. But then ultimately, then they debated on which one those two go to forward. What do you think was the, uh, I'll ask you, Genius, you know, what do you think which one went forward? I'm going to say for Adam Green, Halloween, mm-hmm. for Joe Lynch, Piranha. Or no, no, Halloween and Dawn of the Dead. Oh, Dawn. Oh. Yeah, because it was Halloween and <laughs> still, Dawn that it went still forward. Piranha. Yeah, piranha. Yeah. <laughs> piranha. <laughs> uh, for Adam Green, had, uh, Halloween, and for Joe Lynch, Dawn. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Really? Yeah, no. And it was great because just number one, hearing them a uh, chance to talk about it. But if you guys um, really want to support a podcast, I really highly recommend it on Patreon. But I wanted to give them a shout out for talking about it. But then, so for them, they were, you know, basically locked on which one was going forward. So, you know, which one will go forward for us? You're going to have to stay tuned and find out. But we will have members of the Cadaver cast to talk about uh, Halloween and Dawn of the Dead and the Hateful Eight. But thank you so much, Jeff and Richard taking the time talking with us the classic horrors club podcast on phantom podcast again where can our listeners find you all uh, i'm at kccinephile.com and monstermoviekid.wordpress.com and instagram <laughs> the instagrams <laughs> and i'm at classichorrors.club and we have our joint new facebook group like i mentioned thank you for having us instead yes. of john cusack that was very <laughs> right, nice exactly. yes. thank you very much for having us back it, it, this is an honor we enjoy it we enjoy it so yeah when we come back from the break guys again we're going to be talking halloween and dawn of the dead with the cadaver cast this is sid haig for nightmare junkhead listen i'll come over there and put my boot all up in your ass all right, gang, we are back. And as we go from the round of the Scream 16 <coughs> to the round of the Hateful Eight here in the Into the Mouth of March Madness tournament, mm-hmm. we say thank you uh, to Jeff and Richard from the Classic Horror Globs podcast. Yeah, they're awesome. For helping us say goodbye <laughs> to two films there, uh, <laughs> Damien, uh, Omen 2, and Invasion of the Body Snatchers. But as we say goodbye to the Classic Horror Clubs podcast, we get to say hello to yet another podcast, this time outside of the Phantom Podcast Network. Phantom. And I'll be honest, uh, I've mentioned it before, I kind of have a weekly rotation mm-hmm. of my podcast listening. I've got my Monday, my Tuesday, and it's it's very rare now for a new one to come in and make a spot. A presence. On my weekly rotation, and our next podcast has done just that. It is a po- I, I try to describe our next podcast, and for me, it's it's very simple. It is equal parts charming mm-hmm. and equal parts horrifying. Uh, I am so excited here, you guys. Uh, welcome to Nightmare Junkhead for the first time from the Cadaver Cast, Monster Al and Monster Jeff, Cadaver Dad. Guys, how are you? Good. Doing great. I am beyond excited here. I know uh, we want to keep a nice little time restraint here because I understand Al's been battling the some some yeah, illness the, the, there. The ickies. Yeah, you hear some sniffling on his end. Yeah. I know. That's that's never any good there. But let's see. What we have here, I got to ask Al, 
I, I've got to admit, I am a big fan of the Cadaver cast, so having you on my own podcast, it's a big deal. So thank you so much for that. We actually mo- watched a werewolf movie. It oh. was, The werewolf was so funny, right, Dad? <laughs> yeah, it was. You could see the actor's tongue when huh? he sticked his tongue out. What, what <laughs> werewolf movie was it, Al? Um... The boy who cried werewolf. Oh, yeah. Did you like it? Yeah. Yeah, that's a good one. We had a lot of fun. Yeah. Do you do any... Werewolf shaking like like an apartment that was like a... I think it was trolley? It was a trailer. Yeah. The wolfman was shaking the trailer. Mm -hmm. And inside, (laughs) the the woman, I think, got hit with... um, a painting two times? Oh, twice? Like fridge door. Yeah. yeah. Oh, bunk, bunk. <laughs> so, Al, can you tell some of our listeners, what is the Cadaver Cast? What is it all about? Well, we watch, like, monster movies, and then we talk about them. And to make them better, my dad edits them. Oh, the, uh, I edit the podcast, yeah. not the movies. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and so you actually get to t- sit down and talk with your dad about these good old yes. monster movies. Uh-huh. That is so cool. Yeah, that's awesome. I would never get to talk about monster movies with my dad. How do you do you think it's kind of cool to have your dad like those kind of movies? Yeah. <laughs> so do you do you make no uh do you do a good werewolf impression now? Um, I don't know. <laughs> do you want to try one? Um yeah. Fantastic. Ooh, it's like we're on the Scottish moors in the fog. Oh, no. There's... Be careful, laddies. There be werewolves out there. Stay to the path when Monster Al is out there. Uh, so, Al, do you have a favorite monster movie that you guys have talked about? Um, hmm. I don't know. They're all good. Maybe... Kind- um, Godzilla versus Donkey. Donkey Kong. Donkey Kong. <laughs> Godzilla versus I don't remember. <laughs> King Kong. Um, Godzilla versus King Kong. I think that's awesome. Godzilla movies are so good. Do you like all yeah. different kinds of giant monster movies? Yeah. Yeah. Did you see Pacific Rim? Um. You did. Yeah. Yeah. You were you were younger though. It's been a while. Yeah, I think I was. I think we started this when I was five. Yeah. Four. Four, yeah. I mean, I have two birthdays. Oh, that's awesome. Hey, Al, have you ever seen that giant monster movie where it's a big giant Frankenstein and he's going around and he's destroying a whole bunch of like cities and stuff? No. Oh, you should check it out. It's awesome because it's a big giant Frankenstein. It's called Frankenstein Conquers the World. And then there's another one that you might like where it's this big, like, kind of like orange, weird gorilla goblin, but he's like a giant. And then he fights another green, orange gorilla goblin thing. And they're called gargantuans. And they beat each other up and they go, pow, pow, pow. And then they go around, like, destroying towns and stuff. It's super cool. You should check it out. 
Is there only two in the movie? Yeah, so there's only two. One's nice and one's bad. One's like the going around wanting to destroy the towns and stuff. And then the other one's like, that's not good or whatever. They don't speak English. They like talk in the goblin voice. like, And then and then they fight because one wants to destroy. One wants to destroy the town and go and just hit everybody. And then the other one is like, no, that's not good. And then they, they start they start like beating up each other and, and then the town gets destroyed well one of them does because like you know it's like and you know how godzilla destroys different cities there's like a bunch of different cities yeah. he destroys in the movie yeah there's like a bunch of different it's like the it's by the same people this one and the frankenstein one are just like the godzilla ones where it's like the tanks and then like let's shoot lasers at it right and so it gets really crazy Oh, I remember. I think I watched a Godzilla movie where you could see. Yeah. Um, like he was walking. Uh huh. You could see the back of the background of the houses was on fire. Oh, have you seen the Godzilla movie where he gets on his tail and he like flies on his tail like across a thing and I think he kicks like I think it's King Kong right in the chest with both feet. He does like whoa. Pow! And he just like kicks it, and then he's like, no. Jeff, "It's funny." Jeff, I think we've been replaced. Um, on, <laughs> I think it's going to be the Genius and Al podcast from here on out. Uh, now, I love the fact that you guys are doing this, and in fact, you <coughs> are going to be doing a live podcast here pretty soon, aren't you? Yeah, I think that was going to be our fiftieth. Yeah, it's going to be our fiftieth episode yeah. wow. by the time I get it edited. And you guys have come quite a ways since now, Al. Like you said, you're now six years old. Is that correct? Yeah. Oh my god. Okay, so I'm listen, I listened to your last episode. It was the Who the Al is Leatherface. Yes. And I don't know if I've laughed that hard in quite some time when it came down to the 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 kind of the danger of leather chemicals and your interpretation of Leatherface. I really wish that were was how it actually is because I think it would be a much better movie with the Al touch. Cuz Leatherface is mad crazy. He is mad. <laughs> <laughs> and I love those episodes so much. Those are probably one of my favorite ones to actually hear, get to hear you, you know, respond. Because like you said, you're not going to watch a lot of these movies for a while, are you? No. At least, you know, as long as, you know, Jeff doesn't, you know. <laughs> have you to... seen my Who the Owl is Chucky? Yeah. Yes, I have. I have. It was, it was pretty funny. It's well, and it's really funny because those movies, a lot of them, they still scare me to this day. And so, the to hear you explain them, it actually makes it a little bit better. So I think I can go back and watch some of those. Mm -hmm. Hey, Al, what was one of the scariest movies to you that you've seen where you're like, "Ooh, this movie is real scary." Um, maybe I think the scariest movie with Dawn of the Dead. No, you haven't seen Dawn of the Night Dead. Of the Night Living of the Living Dead. Dead. Uh huh. I can't, I don't know all of those. I don't know which one is which I watch. There's a lot. Sometimes I mix them up too. They all kind of bleed into each other. So we don't want to take too much of your time, Al, because I know you have other podcasts to get to. So thank you for taking the time to talk with us, buddy. I And I look forward every week to your talk with your dad. Okay. What do you say, kiddo? Thanks. Al, thank it you. Was, it was awesome talking to you, Al. You're a really cool kid. <laughs> okay. No, bye, so bye, Al. Bye, Al. <laughs> bye, bye. See you later, you Al. Can say bye. Bye. Bye, buddy. Bye. 
so to speak, now as we go from the children's table to the adult table here, mm-hmm. just in terms of content and tone, uh, one of the first questions we always ask any of our guests are, what was <coughs> your entryway into horror? You know, was it a movie? Was it a book? Was it a moment? What was it that basically kind of showed you that I can really kind of dig into this this genre? Uh, it was my mom. Like, wow. just growing up with my mom being who she is. <laughs> like, uh, the first movie that that I know I went to in the theater was Lucio Fulci's zombie. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) So I was three months old and she was like, well, I got a kid, but I really want to go see zombie. So, you know, there I was. Um, And that was like, my childhood was growing up watching like cable, you know, Mm -hmm. and there'd be like shock waves, you know, on Saturday, like matinee. Yeah. You know, and we'd we'd watch that. Um, it's just like all the weird '70s stuff that would crop up on cable. We'd watch it every Saturday matinee that came up. So that was my entryway. Well, there's nothing quite like those, and I, I and I don't want it to sound bad, but like the permissive parenting of the '80s, mm-hmm. <laughs> where a lot of us were kind of just free to explore on our own, and we came out all the better for it. <laughs> You know, I just had to uh, not tell her that I was afraid that, you know, critters lived under my bed, you know, <laughs> and that like it's maybe a xenomorph in my closet or something. You know, I just keep that to myself. And I knew we were good to go. It, it always bleeds over. That's one of the funny things with genius and greats. You know, yeah. he still to this day will not walk over them Fuck those things. based on his initial interaction <laughs> there. So I need to ask. Um, and, you know, obviously, if people listen to Cadavercast, they understand. But, you know, how did putting together this podcast come together? Because for most people... It's sitting around and talking with your friends about movies, but no, with you, you've taken it to a level that's almost like a Harry Nielsen song. It's so beautiful and joyous. And the pods in the cradle and the silver spoon. <laughs> how did how did the cadaver cast come together? Uh, well, it was Al's idea in the beginning um, because uh, my friend Joe hosts a show called "Quote Unquote Guilty." And he wanted to do an episode on Sharknado, and four-year-old Al was obsessed with Sharknado. So we did that, and as soon as we were done, Al turned to me and said, Dad, we should do our own monster movie podcast. From the mouth of babes. Like, yeah, let's let's do it. And it was perfect, because, like, at that age, you know, we were working really hard with him to sort of teach regimentation and get him into routines and, you know... Like, get him to kind of start doing the same stuff every day, day in and day out without, like, complaining. And the show actually proved to be really helpful in that, that it's like, you know, we've got a schedule that we keep. And then, you know, we sit down and when we do the show, we do certain segments and, you know, it creates that routine for him. So it's actually been a really useful, like, parenting tool as well. Parenting with podcasting. It's, it's That's fantastic. That's phenomenal. It's one of those also... Just in terms of how long I've been listening to it, you can definitely tell he's gotten stronger because that's the one thing almost like with a good scary movie, you know, a kid, a kid actor can make or break it. And my goodness, you know, Alistair kills it. He talks about dead people. (laughs) (laughs) And there's just like I said, there's a there's such a charm to that. Do you and I, I, I look at it and I go, you know. How many years from now he's going to be able to go back and listen to these? He's going to have mad street cred in school. He's got- <laughs> like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's one of those things that uh, his none of his classmates or any of the other parents know we do it as <laughs> yet. So I don't, I don't know what that's going to be like 
you know, what, what kind of questions I'm going to have to answer when this comes out <laughs> finally. I, I hope, hopefully nothing, it's going to be all of, well, how can I, you know, actually impart these kind of things with my, my child? Because this seems to be just a, a, such a wonderful shared moment. Mm-hmm. We talk about, you know, going into the theater, being a communal experience, but honestly, podcasting can kind of be a communal experience as well. And I just love the fact that the little back and forth you have, the Big Trouble in Little China episode is still one of my favorite, if only... Because when you guys opened up with the the big trouble, and then he came <laughs> in with a little shot, and then said we planned that, I I challenge anyone not to listen to that and just say I cannot listen to this podcast. It's so wonderful. So no, I just I think from just my perspective, it's going to be one of those just wonderful things for him to look back and have, and mm-hmm. it's just a, a wonderful shared memory of his relationship with you as Pa. So no, it's I think it's just a wonderful thing. Yeah, thank you. It's um. Yeah, it's been amazing, you know, and at the time that we started it, I was actually wanting to do a podcast just because I enjoyed doing it, you know, I like being on other people's shows and, you know, um, I, I had talked to other people about doing it and it just didn't come together. But when we started doing this, it was like, you know, the stars aligned for <laughs> us, you know, and now that he's six, um, when, you know, those early episodes, it's definitely a lot more of like me teaching him things about movies and special effects but now i mean we have you know once a month i just give the show to him you know <laughs> so we, we do two episodes a month one we review a movie and then the other uh he either just lectures about monsters or comes up with his own version of uh leatherface or whatever you know it's fan it's a wonderful format and it perks it, it fits perfectly we always talk about eventually doing a primer for yeah how to get your kids into horror uh, you know what movies you go into, and but I love the fact that now I can actually refer people to a podcast yeah. that's all about transitioning kids into horror, and you're providing quite a blueprint. And because I don't think there are a lot of podcasts like there out there, are there? I, I mean, I I don't think so. I I know a couple other uh, podcasts that have, you know, kid co-hosts, mm-hmm. but they're not they're not monster movie stuff. There's a there's a little show. These uh these two ten year old dudes. Um, they, they do a show called Spook Factory that's on, uh, just on SoundCloud. You know, they're just they're just little little kids, man. Um, but it's awesome. They they did uh, Night of the Comet and like Alien, and they're like these ten year old kids, and they they host the show, edit the show, and everything. Just the the two kids. It, man, it tells you the kind of age we live in right now, where that's kind of the norm. Because back in the day, we would have been going, you know, on two VCRs, trying to right. record back and forth. And now, oh, yeah. now they've got, you've got these 10-year-old kids that are producing <laughs> content. Exactly. Reviews, probably commentary, like all kinds of, <laughs> that's insane. I was thinking about like nothing at 10 years old, <laughs> you know? <laughs> so the fact that, you know, these kids now are in touch with that, it's incredible. <laughs> But I think also the fact that one of the things that I love is that we actually have you here on the show, that it's a podcast that I listen to. I can now actually interact and we can then cross-podinate as it is, uh, which is one of the things that I love about the whole Into the Mouth of March Madness. That was the whole thing we wanted to do was ultimately promote podcasts that I'm just a huge fan of and I think deserve a larger audience. So first, make sure you are checking out and subscribing to the CadaverCast. Where can people find you out on the social media, Jeff? Um, so we are on Twitter at cadaver underscore cast. We're on Facebook at cadaver cast, which is one word. Um, yeah, that's, that's what we do. And then we're, <laughs> you know, this show is on whatever SoundCloud and iTunes and 
wherever. Uh, and if we're not there, just go on Twitter and complain at me and I'll fix it. <laughs> Again, maybe the also the double-edged sword that is all the interconnectivity. Right. <laughs> but here on the Into the Mouth of March Madness Tournament, as we go into the round of The Hateful Eight, we have the responsibility of taking two films and narrowing down, them down to one. And uh, in 1978, when putting together this tournament, I saw two films from 78 that I knew, barring a huge upset, had to be here mm-hmm. in the Hateful Eight. Um, we have just cornerstones of horror. We have two masters, Halloween going against going up against Dawn of the Dead, and we will put it out here to the guests here, uh, Jeff. Which one do you want to talk about first, Halloween or Dawn of the Dead? Oh man, that's pressure. It's that's <laughs> legit pressure. Mm-hmm. Um, let's let's start because I'm wearing my Dawn of the Dead shirt with. Uh, Dawn of the Dead. Let's and just do that. So do you remember with this particular Romero classic, do you remember your first experience with it? Um, obviously, you saw kind of the Italian <laughs> knockoff in the theater. <laughs> uh, were you close to this one at all? I mean, I saw Dawn of the Dead probably for the first time when I was like 14, maybe 15, yeah. um, which would have been uh, during that time when I was you know, starting to put together a, a VHS collection of horror, you know. And so it's probably something that, you know, I bought and then watched endlessly, which I still do. Um, But, yeah, I don't remember the first time I saw it. It's not it it doesn't have that clear memory for me. Do you you know, was it the first which was the first of the dead series? Do you remember seeing? I'm pretty sure it was Night of the Living Dead. So, wow. So you kind of you started right at least. Yeah, I mean, I, Night of the Living Dead, I have distinct memories of, like, specific times I watched them, mm-hmm. you know? Like, uh, I don't know, this is a weird thing to throw out on somebody else's podcast, but I remember the night that, like, my parents split up. Like, I remember going, huh, well, I'm going to watch Night of the Living Dead on the big TV. Oh, wow. <laughs> no, <laughs> like... We you know. actually we did a, an entire episode on Nerds of Nostalgia talking about a specific emotional ties two specific movies mm-hmm. and in fact i actually the night my mother passed away the original evil dead was on and i saw it and so i for a long time i had this really weird connection with evil dead so no that's actually not unusual at all and yeah. Thing, yeah interesting yeah no it's uh, but honestly dawn of the dead it's one of those that is a seminal zombie film it's one of those that i really think that especially early on growing up you have to see it to get your horror credibility <laughs> it's yeah. one of those Yagata ones so you mentioned seeing it um originally on home video we talked a little bit about it uh did you get that original that two vhs set oh man i don't i want to say the one that i had originally was like the old like emi hbo tape Ooh. Yeah, with the big, uh-huh. thick clamshell. Yeah. Yeah, and I have one of those now, too. I've got just, like, a stack of, like, as many of the variations as I can get my hands on. But Well, that's what's why I didn't realize, you know, when you grow up and you watch it the first time, you didn't realize the kind of the convoluted backstory about how many <laughs> versions there are of it. Yeah. Um, were you a big zombie fan, or are you actually – let me – I should ask you that. Are you a fan of the zombie genre? Uh, yeah. Uh, as a matter of fact, when I was – um, going through community college, I wrote a play called Zombie Panic Room that was uh, done as a staged reading in Chicago back in, I guess it was 2005, I want to say. Um, but it was just about like this, uh, there, there are two guys, one has a zombie panic room because he's afraid the world's going to end. And then the other guy's obsessed with zombie movies. 
Um, and then they accidentally get the one guy's wife locked in the panic room. So, <laughs> uh, shenanigans. Exactly. That's unreal. And so that actually, you were able, that actually played as well? Yeah, yeah. There was a one night uh, staged reading in Chicago. That's so, so. cool. That's <laughs> So you've already got some interesting uh, connective tissue, I should say, to the zombie genre. So for you, where does Donna, <laughs> where does Donna the Dead, where does Donna the Dead lie for you? Oh man, it's uh, one of my top ten favorite movies of all time. Mm. Like it's like personally incredibly like formative for me. You know, when I saw it, I was like, wow. If like you could just give me more movies about people hanging out in stores, I think I'd be good. You know, something about that. Shenanigans in the mall is so much sweeter. Being able to run amok in every single department store with, I mean, of course you have a zombie threat on there, but like. I wanted that dream growing up, like yeah. in the eighties. I mean, just being able to like, cool, the mall's all mine. Let's party, you know. It was great. Well, I'm almost curious to see now, eventually, when, for example, when Al will eventually see it. You know, mall culture in and of itself is dead at this point, in, in need of a resurrection, if you will. So I'm almost curious to see how it will play for him eventually, if it's yeah. even relevant at all. Yeah, that's hard to tell. I mean. You, he, I mean, that's assuming he can tell the difference between it and Night of the Living Dead at that time. <laughs> <laughs> they bleed into each other, you know, regardless of, you know, color or black or white. Um, what do you think with something like this? Because you mentioned you saw it, you know, <coughs> as you were a teen. When do you think would be the appropriate time to introduce, you know, a youngster to these films? When do you, do you have a, like a timeline on that at all for Al? No, it, I feel it out more than anything. Yeah. You know, it's mm -hmm. definitely based on the individual kid and... You know, when I showed him Night of the Living Dead, I knew it was going to spook him. But, like, I knew he was ready for that, mm -hmm. you know, that particular spook. So, but then, like, we were actually going to record an episode about the birds, you know, which Hitchcock, the birds, like, eh, no harm there. We were going to do an episode about it. And I showed that to him. And he was like, nope, we're not recording an episode about it. I'm never watching the sequel with you. I'm done with this movie, Dad. Wow. wow. <laughs> I was like, oh. Okay. The, <laughs> the level has been reached. It's time to reevaluate. Right. He, and... he is like, not only no, but hell no. <laughs> yeah, it was Hitchcock, man. Just the, the suspense was real. Man. There's a huge difference between just a scare and dread. And, yeah. Yeah. There's a reason for that difference there. So uh, other thoughts on Dawn of the Dead before we go into a little bit on Halloween there, Jeff? Um. Oh, man. I, it's one that I could just talk about for ages. But, I mean, for me... Uh, as a, an aspiring filmmaker when, you know, growing up and heck, even still, um, it's, <laughs> you know, something that you look at that movie and you could see it was produced cheaply, but it's just incredibly huge for a movie that you can tell cost basically nothing, you know, and that that always amazed me. The idea that if you have a little bit of money, you should stretch every dime yeah. as thin as you can, you know, and. I know a lot of filmmakers who will make movies and they'll have like $25,000 and, you know, 50 grand or something. And they'll be like, okay, we're going to go one location. You know, and a, a buddy of mine uh, made a movie and he didn't have much money at all. And he's like, we're doing a cross country road trip to Vegas, you know? <laughs> and I was like, and, uh, you know, and the movie looks like it costs way more than it actually cost, you know? Yeah. Uh, I mean and, and I admired that. Yeah, everyone always refers to Romero as the godfather of gore, but they always lose forget he was first and foremost 
like an independent filmmaker. Go on a budget. Yeah. I mean, to pull off what he can, what he did with such little, you know. And once again, you know, running around a muck in a mall couldn't have been cheap. You know? <laughs> the, the, the amount of things they had to have fixed over right? the time that they're like, sorry, we, we blew up your wall. You know, just don't drink from that fountain and you'll be fine. (laughs) No, I agree. It's Dawn of the Dead is one of those films I came to probably later in life. um, But it's definitely one, like I said, you have to see it. You have to. And it's one of those also. I mean, I know a lot of people that dislike Dawn of the Dead. Mm -hmm. I don't judge them. But for me, it's. I'm just like I. You give him like that question look, like almost Michael Myers, the shape, dude. Like, like, huh? You know? I mean, and there's a whole big contingency now that um, zombies are like passe and like gone now, and they're oversaturation. And while I agree, there is a lot of more zombie movies out there. I still think like you know stuff like this, especially if people haven't seen it, Mm -hmm. they do need to check it out, even late to the game. Are you? What's your? What are your thoughts on the remake? Uh, you know, I actually uh, I went to see it opening night in the movie theater because uh, James Gunn wrote it, mm-hmm. you know, and, and I was a huge James Gunn fan uh, from like Tromeo and Juliet, you know, that his, and then, you know, the, the specials came out on VHS and I was like, oh, it's the same guy. This is great. You know, so I, I was nuts for it when it came out. I would say now I'm maybe not so nuts for it. I think it's a really solid remake. You know, that's mm-hmm. definitely doesn't have kind of the heart of the original, but is sleek. Zombies are cool. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's a zombie movie, so uh, it's got that going for it automatically. But uh, yeah, I don't I don't have a problem with it. It's just it's not the original. You yeah. know, mm-hmm. it's 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 that first 10 minutes is unparalleled. But I think ultimately, once you get to the mall, once you force it into the mall, I think that's when it kind of loses the steam. If it let it if you would have let it done its own thing. I think you would have had an even better film. Yeah, more of just Sarah Polly running around yeah, kicking ass. I know. I would have totally seen that road <laughs> trip on her. Uh, but no, I, I definitely... And well, go ahead, Genius. Uh, in the original, do you have a favorite uh, scene or kill or anything like that that really sticks out to you? Hmm. Uh, I mean, uh, oh, what's his name? Uh, uh, Roger? Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, Uh the, the whole sequence of, we got this by the ass. We got this by the ass. <laughs> oh, hubris. It always comes right? back to bite yeah, you in the ass. Uh... Yes, it does. And uh, <laughs> when I was I was uh, helping my friend make a movie <laughs> a couple summers ago, and he would like give me uh, some task to go do, go film something, like do some second unit stuff or whatever. And I'd go, yeah, I got this by the ass. And he's like, you're going to jinx the whole production of this. You need to shut up. It's old habits die hard like that, but it's good when you can put yourself in that environment. That's almost like a little phrase like that becomes a litmus test, just throwing it out to see who picks up on it. And then anyone that kind of gives you that's like, okay, you're one of us. (laughs) Well, uh, going to another film here, we're going from uh, George A. Romero to John Carpenter. Again, one master to another one. Uh, Jeff, what are your thoughts initially on Halloween? I mean, Halloween is, (laughs) you know... I knew when when you guys were like, you know, oh, we'll have you on the the last one of this bracket. I was like, man, I'm gonna have to debate Halloween and Dawn of the Dead. I know it. <laughs> I know we're gonna be doing this, um, and that's tough, man. It's tough because I mean, they're both classics, but Halloween shaped the <laughs> industry. It shaped the genre. Nice pun. Yeah. Nice pun. Shape the shape. <laughs> <laughs> and so, oh man. 
Yeah, it's one that also I saw much younger uh-huh. than uh, Dawn of the Dead and haunted me for years because uh, when we rented it, you know, my mom was like, okay, I'll let you watch Halloween, which, you know, maybe too young. I don't know. <laughs> I don't remember how old I was, but she was like, okay, Jeff. Yeah, fine. I, fine. I will rent Halloween for you. And the end of the tape was eaten between him falling out the window. He goes to fall out the window. And then the next thing that played was the credits. Oh, no. And I, for the next like three years of my life, was like, I need closure. And then I saw the movie, like whatever. I'd probably like 12 or so. And I finally saw the full movie and I went, oh, no. It was as bad as if I had seen the ending. He's still out there. He could come for you. <laughs> no, we've said it before. Just Halloween is one of those quintessential horror films. An essential film. It is. Much like Dawn of the Dead. If you, you haven't seen Dawn of the Dead, we have to question your horror right. credibility with Halloween. <laughs> you, you get what you get a what the fuck? What do you mean you didn't you've never seen Halloween? So <laughs> And also you mentioned Jeff, you came into that one early. This is a film that I talked about it the last time as well. It's one of those that's been with me ever since I can remember mm-hmm. and still haunts me to this day. In fact, I just threw on for a little <laughs> background music the uh the vinyl version of the John Carpenter score. And that's one thing that's really cool about these two films is the soundtrack and the score for both yeah. of them. Are you fans of both of uh, the scores on these? Oh, absolutely. I mean they're they're fantastic. You know, I mean I could there, there, it, there's at least two months of the year where I have these two scores stuck in my head, just <laughs> wandering around, you know. And it's really funny too the fact that now, like forty <laughs> years later, both of the people responsible for the scores are actually touring yeah. and it's playing crazy. live. It is. I mean, if you would have imagined going to John Carpenter when he was shooting Halloween and going, by the way, this, <laughs> you're going to be like playing in front of you know ravenous fans. I'd be like, get out of town. I'm not about that. <laughs> rock and roll, punk rock. <laughs> it's incredible. have you by any chance were you able to check them live when they came around uh i was not actually <sighs> i'm i man i'm like always so busy and it's like heartbreaking because um i i teach and uh i'm also working on another graduate degree oh goodness and uh yeah and doing this whole podcast thing and you know trying to raise the kid outside of the podcast that's like <laughs> It's, it it's, just adds up, man. Pri- yeah. Priorities exist. That whole thing of adulting happens. Well, no, we were fortunate enough. We actually went to Chicago and saw him perform, and it was, it was, it, it was horrible. You missed nothing, Jeff. No, it was you know, awful. you were garbage, <laughs> garbage, garbage. I, I appreciate that. Yeah. No, so it's again talking about these two films. It's it's this is really tough. You know, and how do we separate them? How do we show our work? The which film goes forward? Genius, are you? I need an old priest and I need a young priest. <laughs> I know. My goodness, are you okay over there? Yes, yes, just had the sniffles. <laughs> I mean, just a little bit of a sneeze. So we are going to break it down to two criteria here. And the first one we're going to look at, and this one gets a little bit more subjective, but I want you first, Jeff and Genius, to define what you feel is a 70s aesthetic, a kind of a feel for what you would get in cinema in the 70s. And then based on that definition, you are then going to tell us which of the two films, Halloween or Dawn of the Dead, meet that description that being said jeff would you like to go first on this one um 
I'll I'll defer to genius here, and then and then I can you know sort of steal some of his thunder afterwards. And be like, yeah, I, I was thinking that too. That'll work, genius. I said it before, and I'll say it again. When I think of the seventies, I think of grit and grimy and almost Forty Second Street, just kind of just dirty. Um, I also think of a certain like color palette aesthetics, um, a lot of browns, a lot of like like caramels and white a lot of weirdness just like 70 it's mm-hmm. a, you know and for just pure aesthetics alone i have to go with dawn of the dead it's the most 70s visually one malls again um two not only the outfits and the wardrobe and the thing but most of the zombies the yeah. zombies look like disco zombies in the fact like when when you um when we watched waxworks 2 and that scene where they come out and like in the within mall. the mall they're wearing 70s attire and we instantly knew that it was dawn of the dead dawn of the dead scream 70s especially like the whole um talking about the commercialism and all that stuff because mall culture was huge the whole like like in that time when america was more about buying more stuff and more stuff and more stuff and when romero saw that like we need to say we need to talk about this and you can't get to me aesthetically you can't get more 70s than dawn of the dead that works for me and vote for dawn of the dead all right so jeff do you want to temper your review on that or how will we go forward with that one well i mean yeah, when uh, what I wrote down, like in my notes, is I was like, you know, when I think of seventies, like what is absolutely a seventies film, I think of like regional films, mm-hmm. you know, things that are, that are like um, Doris Wishman movies, or uh, I, I just I saw um, Last House on Massacre Street last year, and I was like, wow, that is like super super distinctly of that time period, mm-hmm. you know. Um, again, gritty, you know, grimy. Uh, it's that color palette. It's the oranges and reds, the garishness of that when like tempered with the browns and the and the yellows. Um, and and yeah, it's and that's all there in Dawn of the Dead. And more so than that, I would say it's a film that you couldn't make Dawn of the Dead that way any other time. Yeah, you know, it. You could go two years later. And you could not have made that movie exactly that way. Whereas I think like Halloween, you know, especially because it's so iconic, you know, people go for that look, Mm -hmm. you know. Um, Yeah. And so uh, same same basic criteria. Absolutely. But I would say more so like more than that, even like going into the mall, you know, we get (laughs) this microcosm of like what is 70s decor Mm -hmm. and fashion and style and technology yeah. And it, wood paneling like all over the place, you know, <laughs> it's so, so quintessentially 70s in its look, you know, and it's sound too. that goblin yeah. score. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. You know, super jaunty at places where you can't do that in a horror movie now, <laughs> you know, like, but like absolutely right there. You they got away with it. You can't have Friday the 13th and then in the middle, the gonk. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, uh, hey. Uh, Blue zombies, right? And that like nasty. <laughs> yeah. And the Hari like, Krishna. Hare Krishna. Krishna. Yeah. Hare. yeah. <laughs> the, the like li- the like uh, red 3M paint blood. Oh man, you know? yes. It's it. There's something to be said. It truly does put its stamp on there. So the vote is then for Dawn of the Dead. 
Dawn of the Dead right here. That yeah. works. So I, I will definitely agree with all of your ideas on aesthetics, especially in the 70s. Grip, grip, you know, grimy, gnarly, nasty. If you go back to 77, that was ultimately kind of all of our agreements on a 70s aesthetic. However, we're in 1978 now, and I'm starting to see a little bit of a transition from sleazy dare I say to more a little bit more classy from trashy and, to classy and I think a lot of that comes and you can actually see it in some of the uh, films in the bracket if you look uh, back on invasion of the body snatchers populated with a little bit more character actors and of course Donald Sutherland is there I know he's creepy and then and the real dogs but with uh, especially with Halloween is you get something that is definitely more <coughs> it's considered more film than yeah. just a traditional horror film. And Schlock. I think you see a little bit more of a transition there. And I think because of that transition, if you put the two together, Halloween definitely fits that bill a little bit more. And then even more, you know, there's no gore in mm -hmm. Halloween versus Dawn of the Dead, which is buckets of blood. And so for me, the 78 aesthetic, I think, is leaning more towards classy, towards an actual film. And for that, Halloween gets my vote. Now, the final thing we're going to look at is it is... It's 2018, and we are talking about these films as if they were made yesterday because we love them that much. So the ultimate question is now, which of these two films will we still be talking about 40 years later from now? That's a tough one. So again, Jeff, do you want to go ahead and start with this one first, or shall we defer to Genius? I'll, I'll, tackle, I'll tackle this one okay. first. Okay. It's going to be Halloween. It's just 100%. <laughs> The Akkads are never going to let this die. <laughs> <laughs> it's in the will. It's going to be passed on for generations generations. I remade it six times. <laughs> they, they want it to live forever. But more than that, like because it is a classier, more timeless movie, and it's a style of film that was adopted immediately by all these other slasher films and became like, you know, defined the mm -hmm. genre in so many ways. You know, we still make movies pretty much like we made Halloween, you know, like that's that's how how Carpenter did that. Mm -hmm. Like it teaches people how to make movies. Now, people aren't watching Dawn of the Dead now and going, oh, let's do that. Like that's you know, that's very much of its time. Whereas the timeless quality of the way Halloween was made, um, like it's you still see that in our cinema today. And so I think 40 years from now, you know, young people are going to look at dawn of the dead is this like nightmarish to behold <laughs> like splash of orange and blue you know it's like just ugh. but you know halloween it's in the suburbs and it's you know the muted colors a little bit and mm -hmm. it's in shadow and it's got that class to it mm -hmm. i think it will hold up better over time than dawn of the dead also malls are dead you know, malls <laughs> are dying Never so. underestimate the power of CNC Movie Factory. So definitely a good vote for Halloween. So Genius, where do you lie 40 years from now? So one of the main things about Dawn of the Dead while we herald it today and while we, we will herald it for a while is the message that it was trying to say about commercialism and stuff, what using the mall culture and things like that. But something you brought it up earlier, uh, like would, like, and, and speaking about Monster Al, would Al get the message... Of Dawn of the Dead when he watches it, like five, whatever. Mm -hmm. Like, does that, will that still resonate true? And like you said, the malls are dead, you know? But Halloween, that style is gonna keep on going on because it, it, 
when you're talking about if we were in horror 101 and we were just like okay so let's look at some the quintessential zombie movie we would be looking at night not dawn if we were talking let's like let's look at one of the main quintessential slashers we would be looking at halloween so i yeah. have to go with halloween on this one that's agreed and i will this one's really tough for me as well because in obviously I know where my heart lies, but again, I want to make sure we're being as scientific as possible and showing our work. Go, you guys both mentioned the slasher, you know, genre and how basically Halloween kind of kickstarted that. But ultimately, even if you took Halloween away, you know, just four years earlier in '74 we had Black Christmas, mm-hmm. which also employs a lot of the stuff that. And honestly, you know, a lot of people say Carpenter cribbed from Clark, which I don't think he did. I just think that was happenstance. <laughs> Clark. No, no. <laughs> that's, okay. no, that's a tongue twister. I know, I didn't. Carpenter, cri- Carpenter cribbed from Clark while Cundy cuddled kittens. Now you're just making me go cross-eyed here. I'm in another, <laughs> I'm in another universe there. No, but I think that you still have the Black Christmas to set the foundation for slashers. But 40 years from now, you mentioned before, malls could be irrelevant. That's fine. But the message of us consuming things that we may not necessarily need, that we still sustain ourselves on just stuff that's useless, you know, these empty calories, that could still possibly be relevant. And in fact, I'm hoping 40 years from now, it's not that this is it's a cautionary tale mm-hmm. versus something that's a current societal critique. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and this is where I then it's rough for me. But you guys had mentioned before the aesthetics itself. You look at Dawn of the Dead, it's truly a 70s film. But man, when you look at Halloween, and I will say this, the last time I watched Halloween, it felt like, it truly felt like a 70s film, but not in a way that it was a 70s, 70s And I hope film. that, I don't, right. I don't know if that no, necessarily no, no. makes sense. You can tell it was made in the 70s, but it necessarily wasn't about no, stuff the in the 70s. And because of that, because of the fact that Carpenter gave us the entirety of this film, writer, director, composer, yeah. You know, maybe if Romero put together the gonk, I, we would still be talking. But because this gave us Carpenter as the auteur, as someone that yeah. is just such a defining voice for me, Halloween is going to get my vote for that. Mm. So, oh, this is this is tough to say, but uh, by a vote of four votes to two, yeah. the night he came home, he is going to be going to the round of the Frightful Four. Holy smokes, Halloween advances. As it should be. As it should <laughs> be. Well, I'll say my the, my heart feels good with this one, but the head, you know, this is this is still a tough one to say. But we yeah. couldn't have made such a Sophie's choice without you, Jeff. So thank you so much, man, for mm-hmm. taking the time for talking this the, the madness from 1978 with us. Yeah, uh, thank you guys. I mean, this was a this was a heartbreaking one to do. Yeah. These two movies, man. We I mean, know, and it's really funny. We um I had posted uh with the movie crypt and uh, Joe Lynch and Adam Green was like, you know, if you had to choose between these two, which one was would it be? Adam Green said Halloween. Joe Lynch said Dawn of the Dead. So it looks like Adam Green had some insight there. But again, uh, Jeff, where can our listeners find you out onto the interwebs? Uh, again, plug the social media. Yeah, so uh, you can find CadaverCast uh, anywhere your podcasts are listened to, hopefully. And uh, we are on Twitter at Cadaver underscore cast and on Facebook at CadaverCast one word. Excellent. I guess uh, next week, what film from 1988 will be joining Halloween in the round of the Frightful Four? Hmm. Uh, you're going to have to tune hmm. in to find out on that. Uh, so until that time, guys, this is Greg D. I'm Genius McGee. And we will see you in your dreams. Mm-hmm.